Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Today, Graham McMillan and I are enduring the trauma of San Diego Comic-Con from the privacy of our own homes, and we're dying to tell you about it. Yes, for close to two hours and 45 minutes, we talk Comic-Con, the Image Expo, Marvel trying to blow our minds, Captain Victory by Jack Kirby, Seconds by Brian Lee O'Malley, G.I. Joe vs. Transformers, Supreme Blue Rose, Afterlife with Archie, and roughly an hour on Avengers issues 152 through 178 by Jim Shooter, George Perez, Pablos Marcos, and others. Show notes written under the influence of prescription painkillers are now available at waitwhatpodcast.com. We welcome your comments and questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thanks for listening. Hello, Jeff Lester. Hello, listeners. Hi. Welcome to an extremely calm and relaxed Wait What, while the rest of the comics industry is having a nervous breakdown at Comic-Con. <laughs> <laughs> Are they really? Or is that just isn't Ah, oh, it's just it's just Comic-Con. that's how Comic Con goes, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't think it's a particularly bad Comic Con, it's just that you know, every, you've you've done Comic Con. Everyone who goes I mean it's it's Thursday, it's the first official day, but by now people will already be losing their minds. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um and I have to say, I mean I have not gone for several years now. It's been been at least five or six since I think the last time I went, and uh, I'm sort of I'm, I'm glad I'm not there. As as much as it would be great to <laughs> see people and st- like, honestly, I mean, of course the the ironic thing is I did something weird to my back. So the last couple of days, my lower back has just been bugging me, and I'm kind of waiting for it to go away and blaming myself for for not taking better care of it and stuff but the whole time like every time i see just one shot of all those people i'm just like oh thank god i'm not in that like it's just such a genuine sense of relief not to be there you know um and i think even if my back was okay i think there's still part of me that's like yeah i just i don't know there's just something about swimming through that much density of of just human beings it's just it's it's a little uh, uncomfortable for me you know yeah it's it's funny this year i have gone like wild extremes Mm -hmm. from i'm so glad i'm not going like yesterday morning i was i just had this moment of i'm so glad like i don't have any of that traveler shit to deal with right like it's just it's horrendous just getting there is horrendous um and then last night, when previews night was happening, I was like, oh, I kind of miss it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And today, I, I've honestly been going back and forth the mm-hmm. the entire day between – it really is like I'd like to see the people. Yeah. As opposed to the event itself. Like, you see photographs of the of the floor, and there's just so many people. You're like, oh, thank God I'm not there. Yeah. Because – because even if you don't have, even if you're like, well, you know, it's inside the convention center, that'd be fine. You then remember, like, even just getting in and out of the convention center, or even like the fucking gas lamp district. Oh yeah, 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 it's, yeah. is horrible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. just like apocalyptically horrible if you have any any anxiety about personal space. Yeah, exactly. Which I have anxiety about personal space, and I have I have uh, anxiety about. 
well, just standing in line, line integrity, all sorts of line issues. So put me in a line and I just start to freak out. And so, I mean, San Diego Comic-Con like, is like pretty much, you know, at a certain level of access anyway. It is nothing but standing in line. And so, it, it you know, it's like the, the ratio of standing in line to the good stuff is, you know, what, 60-40, 80-20, you know, however you want to break it down. And at a certain point, I'm just like, I can't, I can't handle it anymore, you know? So, is this your first year not going in a while, Graham? It is, right? No, no, last year was my first year going in a while. Oh, okay. That's um, right. I did, I, yeah, I did last year, mm-hmm. and then I didn't do a couple of years before that. And mm-hmm. then, bef- like, up until that point, I think I'd gone, like, every year for six years. Oh, my God, that's right, six years. Good grief. Yeah, it's just... But also, last year was the first year where I didn't have a breakdown when I was there. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I say that semi-comedically, mm-hmm. but last year was the first year where there wasn't a night where I had to work yeah. right through the night. Right and through. so I essentially worked like, you know, I I can't, you know, realistically like 36 hours in a row um, and d- did become like just a little bit divorced from reality. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. And I'm, that's not exaggeration. Like last year was the first time I've done Comic Con where I've been working there, where I didn't kind of go just a little bit nuts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was great. I loved. I really had. The, I last year I had this moment of, oh, I, this, this is what it could be like. Right. right. <laughs> it it doesn't have to be a, a a hellish and yet weirdly amusing because your sense of reality has gone mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. experience, but um. But yeah, it was just like, I, I, I have, I've been through enough really bad experiences at Comic-Con that overall it comes down to, given the choice, I think I'm perfectly okay with not being there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can imagine. I, it's, it's one of those things I'd like to go back, um, but I don't know. But see, I think this is the thing that's sort of interesting to me is, you know, from, God, what, what, I'm trying to think what the years were, like 96 through 2001, I think, maybe, I think it was 97 through 2002, I went to Burning Man every year for like five years, mm-hmm. and um, then I stopped in 2002, and then maybe it was a year or two later, uh, I went to Comic-Con, um, like, I don't know, maybe two, three years in a row, each one sort of making the trip shorter and shorter and more compact. And they're remarkably similar in a lot of ways, um, especially in that idea of like, you know, I always think back to both events and be like, yeah, someday I'll go back to that, you know, when my circumstances have changed dramatically. Yeah, exactly. Know? Well, here's the thing. I was thinking yesterday, I'd love to do Comic-Con entirely on my own schedule. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'd love to go where I could be like, oh, I'll go and I'll say hello to some people. I'll wander the floor. Maybe I can go and see some panels I want to see. Yeah. Then maybe I could just leave. Right. right. Which is, has never been my experience at the show. But mm-hmm. you're you're right. Like, you want to go back, but you kind of want to go back on your own terms. Exactly. And on your own terms are often, like, when I can afford mentally, financially, emotionally, yes. to walk away. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, exactly, exactly. Because I think that's the, it's just that, that two-sided thing of like, even if you're prepared, just like with Burning Man, even if you can get yourself in the mindset and do it like emotionally and mentally, there's there's a certain degree of 
financial, serious financial investment. And honestly, I kind of get the sense that maybe Comic-Con has plateaued in that regard. I really sort of feel like, and, and maybe this is just me being completely mistaken, but I, I, I just get the sense that there are the number of, of relatively high-level, um, you know, press media coverage where even that is at the level of like, yeah, we can't really justify well, this. Well, that's just it. Like, th- this is the year where I think a lot of media is pulling back. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely not only the people I work for, but also a number of people I've spoken to. Mm-hmm. This is the year where they're like, yeah, we're doing less than we've done in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, in large part because, I mean, you, sites get a bump. Mm-hmm. You definitely do. Comic-Con gives you a bump. Yeah. But I think it gives you a bump to an extent. Mm-hmm. And I think in the past, what you've seen are, are sites and, and outlets basically going, well, what if we go bigger? Do we get a bigger bump? What if we go bigger? Do we get a bigger bump? Right. And I think they've like, I think they were like, oh, we've, we've seen exactly how many people are, are actually interested in this. Mm-hmm. Okay. We can scale things back now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating that way. Um, well, the other thing is also you kind of don't have to go to Comic-Con now. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing. I wrote up the Image Expo yesterday for Hollywood Reporter, and I'm not there. Right. And I could literally do it because of all the Twitter coverage. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's, and I think that's it. There's so much virtual coverage now um, of Comic-Con. I remember talking with you a couple of years back where everyone, you know, where you said that the media outlets were having to deal with the fact that no matter how fast they were, they could not break news as quickly as one person sitting on Twitter on Twitter. Yeah. And actually today's a great example. So, uh, just about an hour ago when we record, uh, comiXology broke that they're doing DRM free downloads. Yes. Um, I've known that all week. Mm -hmm. I was given the heads up ahead of time. It's still, I knew exactly when the panel started. Mm -hmm. I knew when the announcement was going to be made in the panel. Mm-hmm. Like I was given times. Wow. It was still on Twitter before I got my story life. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, exactly. I, because unless you, because uh, here's the thing, you, you're kept to the, like, you know, you can't, you make it live until we say it. Right. So you I, can, you can't you're break literally it early. racing. Yeah. yeah I'm literally racing the person mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. who could just go, holy shit, news posts. <laughs> You know, and even if you've written in advance, yeah. you still are probably going to lose that person. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, it's kind of amazing. Well, and it is interesting. I think the other thing that's that I find fascinating about and and step in here if um, if you think I'm I'm mistaken in this regard, but because San Diego stories are how do I put it? They're announcements, but not necessarily news. They lend themselves especially well to the kind of shallow, fast Twitter post, right? Oh, exactly. I mean, there's there's very – well, it's also the nature of media coverage of such things now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you'll get – like even if something is nuanced, you know, like, okay, so the DRM-free thing is actually – it's not like you can't get it over in a sentence right. because it's 
uh, DRM free downloads for specific publishers who have agreed. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and in two formats, PDF and CBC. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And so, and, and with that, you also have the, well, if you look at the, I think it's six publishers who, have, who are going along with it, mm-hmm. uh, they've been doing, like two of them have been doing it before. Right. Like have been doing, have been doing this for a while, Image mm-hmm. and Thrillblend. Yeah. And I want to say Dynamite might have been doing it as well. I'm just not entirely sure. Um, 2008 did it, uh, six years ago at this point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I want to say it was 2008 they started doing DRM free downloads. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you kind of want to get all that over. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You don't just want to be like, this is the first ever. <laughs> but because of the way that the internet works now. Right. I think you're more likely to see sites do a quick holy shit post and then have a follow up. Right. Like, here's what it means. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're, especially when you see, you look at things like Vox, mm-hmm. uh, or, or other sites like that, you get a lot more, I'm explaining the news story to you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's fragmenting things so that you can get, you can double dip in any story. Right. You get the, oh, headline, <laughs> oh, shit, sorry. And then you get someone being like, actually, it's not a big deal at all. Well, and that, that is, I mean, that's the nature of the beast. And like you said, that's, um, it's a good strategy, that double dipping. I remember, at, you know, being the sort of goon that would follow, like, the Macworld announcements. And it was interesting how sites like Gizmodo or, or TechCrunch or whatever would have, uh, here's the live stream, here's the announcements, in case you didn't want to go through the live stream, and here's the analysis of the announcements. And it was broken up into, th- you know, it was it was tiered in a way because you to because really the amount of coverage that that the reader wants i think actually does vary sometimes you just yeah, want no, the holy it, shit stuff it, yeah. exactly and so you get things like i think yesterday's image expo is a great example mm-hmm. you get things where if you just want the immediate announcement mm-hmm. you can just follow twitter right do you know what i mean mm-hmm. holy shit kurt music's on stage holy shit he's got a new series right uh if you want like what I did for Hollywood Reporter was I literally sat here for two hours <laughs> looking mm-hmm. at all the reports of being like, New book. It's these people. And just adding to like an overall report mm-hmm. that then went live after the fact and it's like here are all twelve announcements from Image Expo. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um but then you also see like if you look at something like Multiversity today, uh Multiversity is like and here are interviews with lots of these creators going far more in depth about what all these all these books are. Right. Right. You know, so you do have your tears. And I think that's really good mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because a Hollywood reporter reader who isn't a comic reader, quote unquote, who doesn't go to the store every Wednesday. Right. Is not going to want the, the fast, holy shit, the, you know, so and so, like, they're honestly not going to care. Right. Unless uh, you tell the, them the, why the, it might the, be yeah, interesting. Yeah. Gabriel Hartman's doing a new book with his wife. Yeah. Right. Right. But, and they're also not going to want the interview. Mm-hmm. But they are going to want the, like, Image Comics collectively announced 12 new comics. They're almost all in science fiction. Mm-hmm. Like, Eric Stevenson said some dumb shit. Like, that's what they're going to want. <laughs> 
So, Grant, you know, can can we talk a little more specifically about the Image Expo? Because a little bird told me that you might have a, <laughs> a, li- a little bird being me. Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, listeners, earlier on today, Jeff and I were emailing, and Jeff said basically, "I'm going to be high as a kite on painkillers," mm-hmm. and I said, "I'm going to probably say ridiculous things about Image Expo." <laughs> that was our warning to each other. We That's right. Exactly. Exactly. Um. What did you think of Image Expo, Jeff? Okay, so here's the thing. Um, I I didn't follow the coverage very closely at all, except for one portion of one statement that basically drove me bananas. Oh, what was it? What was it? Right up the wall. What was it? It was, and again... High as a kite on muscle relaxants, so maybe I misread it. But I could have sworn at one point, Image's PR person was saying that the reason why they didn't announce the Marion Churchland, uh, Sloan Leung's fantasy title, I forget the third person involved in that uh, series, that they had planned to announce that at the previous expo, but they couldn't because I can't remember why they couldn't get someone out. So they decided to hold off until this expo. Oh, I've not, I didn't even hear that, but that's crazy bullshit. Yeah. And like, I was that, like, that's, that's a hilarious. Like, even if that's true, don't say that. I know. Cause it I know, sounds right? like bullshit. It sounds, it sounds like such bullshit. It sounds like such a blatant and desperate attempt to retcon the the their previous you know hullabaloo that it's like you're just better off leaving that alone and like i said who knows like i would be really hard pressed to tell you where i saw that coverage frankly yeah i i I, because that wasn't that definitely wasn't on stage Mm -hmm. yeah no i swear that was some sort of after the fact type thing um you know i kind of think that I also, thanks to, I think, a link on your Tumblr, Graham, I went and looked at uh, Stevenson's uh, keynote speech. Yeah, um, I was on Twitter, but yeah. yeah uh, okay, thank you. And, and you know, I, I kind of have a certain amount of, um, uh, I don't know. I, I Again, there's a little bit of the at the end where he's talking about how much image has jumped up as far as their market share since mm-hmm. he took over, how it's gone from 3% to 8% to 10%, and how that was actually a narrative that I myself had kind of bought into until I looked into the charts like four or five months ago talking with someone else, maybe right after the first Image Expo, and realizing that Image traditionally does cycle through periods of having stronger market share or not. And it's probably technically still a little too early um, to show that Image has sort of broken the Image curse so to speak. Um, You know, for me, it always feels like image is this sort of, it's this machine that gets rolling. It takes a long time to amp up. And then just as it, it starts really, you know, blossoming all of a sudden, you know, something terrible always ends up happening and things end up sort of falling apart. And and, and then make it sound like DC comics. Yeah. well, (laughs) Exactly. Is, Is this the story of every comic publisher that isn't Marvel? (laughs) 
<laughs> the like you think they're getting better and then they fuck themselves up? I, I don't know. It may it may be. I mean, I do think that there are ways in which um I think it's interesting that clearly this seems to be the year in which, for whatever reason, it seems to me comics companies are making more noises about yes, we're paying attention to what the readers and the comics internet is telling us. And yes, we are trying to make those changes regardless of whether or not they are, they are definitely all committed to putting out the message that they are paying attention. Yes. Yes. I I think you're totally right. Um, Something that Tom Ewing said on Tumblr, and I can't remember the exact phraseology Mm -hmm. um, in response to, I think it was in response to something that I might have said about Marvel's recent announcements. Mm Mm-hmm is that we're at a point now where publishers are responding very much to the audience's demands mm-hmm. in a way that they don't traditionally do. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in that they're trying to demonstrate more diver- diversity mm-hmm. uh, culturally mm-hmm. and and in terms of content than they have traditionally done. Mm-hmm. And I think we're at the, that, that point, definitely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny, though, because... Here's the thing. Yesterday's Image Expo was the point where I realized that um, Eric Stevenson simultaneously manages to say all the right things theoretically, mm-hmm. but just come across terribly unlikable in doing so, and then get hilariously undercut by the announcements that follow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so his keynote is all about how he wants diversity and how you know, it can't be based on old ideas and moving forward. And then, like, his first announcement is Rick Remender coming out and going, yes, I'm doing my version of Judge Dredd and Akira. <laughs> you know? And you're like, right. oh, shit. And, like, almost all of the, the books are mm-hmm. phrased as it's X plus Y. They're, they're phrased as it's this familiar thing meets yeah. this other familiar thing. And you're like, this is not moving forward at all. It's moving forward in the sense of like, this is literally not a brand name you're familiar with. Right. But in terms of ideas, there were, there were very few new ideas mm-hmm. in there. And also, almost every title announced yesterday was science fiction. Yes. Like, there was no diversity in the announcements. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? They're all like, hey, I hope you like science fiction. That's what we're doing this year. Yeah. Um, and so it was, it, it was one of those things because you, you, you read, Stevenson's comments and he's like diversity is great creator ownership that's what we need to do we need to let creators do whatever they want like let's not be beholden to the past mm-hmm. and then they're like and this is what they want to do it's all the stuff from their childhoods but with, literally with the names like scrubbed out right right and you're like you, you're faced with this simultaneous is this really what they want to do that's really kind of depressing <laughs> and but also like, I, I agree with the idea that diversity is great. We should let everyone do what they want to do. Mm-hmm. But image is not diverse. Like, mm-hmm. that, that is not a diverse lineup they're, they're, they're talking about. It's, it's an interesting lineup. Mm-hmm. There's books in there I want to read, definitely. There's, there's a lot of really talented people. Right. But it's not diverse at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it's, you know, you even have to look at, uh, like, what Oni's doing. Mm-hmm. Like, Oni's summer slate is I Am The Cat... Which, you know, fucking talking cat who, with nine lives who is a criminal mastermind is 
you know, more original than anything Image announced yesterday. Yeah. Uh, but they've got Meteor Man. They've got The Life After. Mm. You know, they, they have they have a genuinely diverse slate. Yeah. Uh, you know, you look at Nobrow, you look at John and Quarterly, you look at Fantagraphics. All of those publishers are are walking the walk that Eric Stevenson is talking mm-hmm. more than images. Yeah, it's it is problematic. I I feel in that regard because image definitely image I feel is kind of the the way in which they're sort of this interesting bridge now between the big two publishers and the truly indie comics is is that they have a sort of they're very intent on you know talking the talk and you know when you get to the when you do get to the walk you're like well okay i can kind of squinch my eyes and see yeah it, you know image image that's just it image is the bridge mm-hmm. image is what happens when you've grown up in marvel and dc you want something else but you're not really willing to give up like the familiarity and the nostalgia. Yeah. Well, or or even even there's a certain degree of you know, you 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 want to have someone get punched or shot, you know? I mean, there's sort of I I think that it's, you know, apart from something like minimum wage, the majority of the books that I pick up from Image, no matter how different they are, I'm usually pretty certain that someone's going to get shot or punched and that's kind of what i'm in the mood for you know yeah, well, yeah and there's nothing wrong with that again yeah. i don't i don't want to say like image of shit because it's not like no, some no, no, of my no, favorite exactly. books right now are coming out from image mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know and some of for my money the most interesting books i'm reading are in like zero i think is an incredible book and it's yeah. an image book um supreme blue rose which i i got yesterday is fucking fascinating to me yeah. and it's an image book we um, we, we want oh we, we, need we, to talk we have that. to talk about that yeah. yeah um you know image is doing really interesting stuff Mm-hmm. But I, I, the idea of like it being held up as an example of creative freedom or diversity is really problematic for me, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because when it comes down to it, it's not. It. How do I put it? I, I'm just. I'm sorry. Or, 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 or it is within a very specific parameter. Yeah, I say. I think that's it. I do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like it's it's creative freedom as long as you do want. You know, stories about people who are going to get punched or shot. Right. Yeah. Or we'll be doing the punching or shooting. I mean, but, and there's... But there... ultimately, that's not... I don't know. I I feel like if you're like, diversity's the thing. Mm-hmm. It's... And I don't know why I expect more from Stevenson at a, you know, at a fucking keynote for his publisher. Mm-hmm. I don't know why... I'm disappointed that he didn't go. And all these other publishers are doing stuff that's great as well. Because, you know, why shoot he? That's like someone that, uh, I was going to say Steve Jobs, whoever's Tim Cook at Apple these days, mm-hmm. you know, standing up and being like, and have you seen what such and such a company's doing? It'll never happen. Like, yeah. it's, it's, that's, you're, you're asking them to, you know, do the very opposite of what they're there for. Right. Um, but I still get weirdly rankled when, they have the presentation at the start where they talk about like, we're moving forwards. Right. Because I feel that at its, at its core image is still a very conservative company. Oh yeah. 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 No, I agree. I think, and they benefit a great deal from being able to. To straddle the line. Well, to, to straddle the line, but also because of, um, I, I feel like 
a lot of the the certainly the big two companies are are even more conservative you know so therefore by contrast it's it's very easy for them to look and even to feel like they're moving you know they're taking oh, no, huge yeah. steps forward you're entirely correct mm-hmm. it, it they, they benefit i did a great deal from mm-hmm. marvel marvel far more than dc but marvel and dc setting the expectation of what comics is mm-hmm. in the minds of the majority of people in the industry yeah because when you compare Image with Marvel and DC, in, your mind would be blown. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, completely. Yeah, very much so. But and, I just, I don't know. I still, like, everyone involved is smarter. Do you know what I mean? It just seems weirdly, distastefully cynical <laughs> to stand up for diversity when you really are having, you are presenting a slate that ultimately is pretty conservative. Well, ultimately, I mean, I think the thing to keep in mind, and this is this is probably, you know, a lesson deep in my pinko heart, you know, is that idea of like pure communism is something that has to be worked toward. (laughs) Oh, no, you're totally right. Like I have I this is not the first time in in recent memory and by recent memory, I mean, like the last week Mm -hmm. where someone has announced something and I've been like, it's not enough. So it doesn't count. And then (laughs) me. Yeah, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. um, but it, yeah, it, it, but there's some like the Marvel announcements of last week. There really is something, uh, just I don't know, distressing, mm-hmm. disappointing mm-hmm. about seeing people being like, "We're fucking doing it, man!" <laughs> and you're left going, "You're you're kind of doing it. You're taking baby right. steps. I wish you wouldn't be quite so self congratulatory about it." Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and uh, I agree with you, but I, I just guess I'm just sort of kind of like uh, that. That is a frustrating aspect of of life these days. You know what I mean? <laughs> like seriously, my like I've my Twitter feed is the the percentage of self congratulatory tweets are high. You know what I mean? It's it's a double digit percentage. Of my Twitter feed being people who are like, uh, just went out and nailed that sandwich. Go me. You know, that kind of thing. And uh, I just. Yeah, fair though. That was a very hard sandwich. It, it, <laughs> I was re- I was really impressed I, that he managed to finish like the whole thing. I know. I know. You just only didn't... in two days. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> other people might have given up, but he was like, fuck it. No, no I'm, I'm sticking this, this last Thursday in, a, in, a, in the fridge. <laughs> They said it was a foot long, and I'm going to eat all 12 inches of that. Believe me, I, it's a foot. A foot or, or nothing. A foot or GTFO. Um... <laughs> I, yeah, so so there you go. I am, my, my image complaint is basically this. Everyone who was upset at Marvel being going, we are the most progressive company in the world for last week's announcements, image is the publishing version of it. The end. Yeah. So, um, Marvel's announcements last week, um, part of this, I'm sure, are the muscle relaxants, but what the fuck did they announce that was such a big deal? I can't even remember. Oh, good. Thor's a woman. Captain oh, right. America's a black man. Right. We right. are so... And also, then my favorite was, an Iron Man's got a silver suit. 
That's what I love. Like, you fucking start with Iron Man's got a new suit because there's no way after you've done, there's a new Thor, there's a new Captain America, yeah. and Iron Man's got a new suit. Doesn't that seem like the most hilarious letdown? Especially because they're like, and he's moving to San Francisco and he's making apps. <laughs> I mean, really, you're like, okay, it's, there's really nothing else to that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. Iron Man makes apps. <laughs> that is going to be called that. <laughs> the Aptacular Iron Man. The Aptacular Iron Man. Yeah, there we go. Um... And also, all listeners are like, no, he's releasing the extremists through the apps and he's upgrading San Francisco. I know that's the fucking point. I know that's the plot. It's just Iron Man moves to San Francisco and makes apps is kind of underwhelming no matter how great the app is. Especially because I think in the Matt Fraction run, he did that, except he moved to Seattle and released apps. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. He can't stay away from the West Coast. He yeah. can't. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I think I sort of wondered the extent to which Marvel's announcements, again, there was this idea that it, it struck this, you know, huge chord of like, oh, hey, diversity. Um, you know, and it's it's still... There's still a lot of frustration for me that that people think like diversity is what happens, you know, in front of the scenes as opposed to what happens behind the scenes. I yeah, I am <laughs> you Jeff, you know, you know how I feel about this. Um I think I think Marvel is really good at PR. Mm-hmm. I think Marvel is really fucking oh, great. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that Marvel have milked these these announcements for for everything they can, and I think that's uh, uh, its own, like, that should be applauded in its own right. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Although there is still that thing of, like, why isn't anyone be- being like, okay, so where are your female creators, where are your African-American creators? Uh, it's almost like someone has been trying to do that. <laughs> And has been getting shut down by the powers that be more than once, Jeff. That's, it's almost like that it's is happening. It's almost like that's happening it's, behind it's, the scenes. It's weird, isn't it? It's it is. Al- it's almost like, you know, certain publishers mm-hmm. have tried to stop certain people saying that. Yeah, yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, but he- here's the thing. I think that Marvel has very smartly, but incredibly disingenuously positioned itself as the vanguard of diversity in comics mm-hmm. with its moves. And I think that it is to everyone who does not work for Marvel's disadvantage and disgrace that that they're going to get away with it, essentially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I, it's, it's really, really sad. Mm-hmm. And it's sad that so many people buy into it. Uh, I can, I can, so I wrote this thing for Wired last week mm-hmm. that was basically um, Thor and Captain America isn't enough and mm-hmm. it's it's ultimately like it's the wrong move mm-hmm. because you're saying we're being diverse and everything but they're temporary measures and in both cases neither of the characters are going to run the show alone. They're going to have their male counterparts in the background mm-hmm. and those male counterparts are going to take the roles back. Mm-hmm. which gives the suggestion that the replacements can't handle it. 
and and under underscores the they are the fill-ins, they are the replacements, they are not as worthy as the white guys. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's really problematic. I, I really genuinely do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got slaughtered for saying that. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's true. Like I really did, <laughs> and I can kind of understand why. Mm-hmm. Uh, beyond the, hey, I'm a white straight male saying that. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand that a lot of people are like, some representation is better than none. Right. You know, which is, which is, yeah, completely valid and, and, and true. And it's far easier for me as a white straight male to say, well, you, you guys can try harder to the publishers. Mm-hmm. Because I'm represented everywhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I literally cannot on an emotional level comprehend the, oh, that guy looks like me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. thing. Because so many characters do look like me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I do, like, I, I, I over intellectualize these things and I approach these things from a, from a very privileged perspective. Um, but it's just, there is, a, I, f- I really do, like, I, it would be something different if I felt that Marvel was even going to follow these things through for like a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? But mm-hmm. all of these things have the air of being extremely temporary. Right. Right. Yeah, I, it, I don't know. I, I flip-flop. Uh, on on those issues, I think, um, because I, geez, I don't know. I mean, for me, there is a little bit of a, when they threw Sif into Journey into Mystery, um, and that was written by Catherine Eminen, right? Yeah. I kind of felt like, to me, I'm trying to parse out the ways in which I can certainly, because of my frustrations with the scenario, sort of have to be careful not to put Marvel in a they-can't-win corner. You know, not really because I care about being unfair to them. They certainly seem to have have won the war as far as PR goes. But, you know, just in the sense of being like, well, okay, if you can't appease me. You know, there was a way when it bothered me that whenever Marvel had a female character series that they would put a female writer or female artist on it, you Mm -hmm. know, because I felt that it was this weird sort of, it's, it's almost patronizing. It's like, it's it's the girl's book. Yeah. You, it's like, oh yeah, you can write women, you know, you're a woman, you can write women, you know? And, and so there's part of me when I see that, like it's Jason Aaron and Rick Remender doing Captain America and Thor, Part of me are like, well, they're not black, they're not it's... women, you know, but why can't it sort of, but I'm sort of like, okay, so I tell you what, like, okay, Jason Aaron, you get Thor, Rick Remender, you can, you know, apparently it's more important that we, rather than launch and fully support a Falcon series based on the, the popularity of that character, we're going to make what? him Captain America, you know, you get to go write that. You know, but the flip side of it is we're going to give one of your books to, you know, a creator of color and we're going to take one of Jason Aaron's books and we're going to give it to 
you know, a woman, and it's not a woman who's going to be fucking writing Black Widow, Lady Thor, Sif, Hellcat, Tigra. Like, they get to actually write, you know, the fucking Hulk, or... Well, yeah, that's just it. Like, it, there is a way to, to promote creative diversity, and that is to, when you bring in a creator who is not a white male, mm-hmm. that you don't stick them on whatever, like, you know, it's a woman writer, you stick them on a woman book. Exactly. It's a writer of color, you stick them on a character of color. You're like, hey, I, Dwayne McDuffie's a terrible example, he's dead. But, like, you bring in Dwayne McDuffie and you're like, hey, Dwayne, wouldn't it be great if we gave you an unlimited run on the Hulk? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, Catherine Eminent would be a great example. Wouldn't it be great, like, genuinely great if mm-hmm. someone was like, Catherine Eminent, you could probably write a great Iron Man. Or take over Hawkeye. Like, like, Catherine Eminem on Hawkeye. Catherine Eminem on Hawkeye would be fucking amazing. Wouldn't it be great? I just thought of it. It would be great. Yeah, Yeah. that would be, you know, so there's kind of a, there's a level of things. But that's the thing. Okay, so by the time this episode airs, uh, or is released, we will be post-Comic-Con. That's right. Okay? Post-Comic-Con, Marvel will be employing three female writers. Mm. All of them will be on books starring women. Yeah. Yeah, that's... And that really is, to me, a tremendous source of frustration. Yeah, uh, it really know. is. It really, really is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? And it, and to be fair, you know, Kelly Sue was doing Avengers for a while. Mm-hmm. There's... A certain level of, I don't know how much of it was her choice, how much of it was editorial, but definitely when she was handling Avengers, it turned into more of a Spider-Woman right. and Captain Marvel mm-hmm. and some other Avengers title. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I would not be surprised if it was her choice, to be mm-hmm. honest. Like, I can't see editorial really being like, write more about the girls. <laughs> if only because they probably wanted the book to sell. Right. You right. know? Right. Um, but, yeah, wouldn't it be, like, it would be great mm-hmm. if Catherine Eminem, who's a fucking amazing writer, mm-hmm. was given one of the quote-unquote icons to play with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Or, I mean, G. Willow Wilson's Ms. Marvel is a one of Marvel's best books right now mm-hmm. and is firmly in the Spider-Man mold. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why not give her a Spider-Man book? Give her a Spider-Man title. Exactly. And and I feel like the way this works is that, you know, is that as it stands, it, it worries me that, that, like I said, as much as I don't want it to just be a situation where it's like, oh, the women only write the women books, the people of color only get to write and draw the people of color books. Like, there is something frustrating to me when Marvel says, oh, yes, no, we're embracing diversity. We've got white guys writing, you know, women and people of color now. You know, I just Although, think that there's, yes. I, you know, to, to uh, spread the blame. Mm-hmm. DC is entirely guilty of this as well. Oh, yes, D- DC has a lot of um, a lot more female creators, or at mm-hmm. least in terms of writers and artists, mm-hmm. than Marvel does. But they are almost entirely mm-hmm. uh, on books of uh, featuring solo female characters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, Anna Shanti is going to be doing Clarion, and right. that might be it in terms of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Books where they're they're handling something 
I, I really think it might be. I think Akarian might be it, appallingly. Right. Right. Well, because maybe oh, in no, a Mar- sense... Mar- Mar- Marguerite's doing Earth 2. Oh, right. Right, which is right. That's that's more loaded. I mean, but it is interesting. Is that because Anosenti was, you know, has been around in the marketplace so long, and she's got like, you know, she had a big run on Daredevil, and now that I think about it, I'm like, oh right, you know, Marvel had had a woman writing, you know, Daredevil during. Marvel had in the 1980s a mm-hmm. better lineup of, or, or rather, a larger lineup. Yeah. Of female creatures than they do now in terms of writers and artists. Yeah, yeah. Because you had uh, Mary Jo Duffy, mm-hmm. you had Anna Shanti, mm-hmm. you had Louise Simonson, yes, you had Mary Wilshire, you had uh, Cynthia Martin, was that her name? Mm-hmm. Who did Star Wars? Oh, right. uh, you, did, you had Marie Severin, mm-hmm. you had Jude Bringbin, like all working for the company at the same time. Yeah. Which you is know. better than it is thirty years later. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is interesting. Well, I think I think back then also there were just things. I don't know. Things just seemed very different. Like I, a lot of those people, of course, started off in editorial and moved into sure. Writing. Yeah, and you had you had a lot. You had a much wider range of titles as well because you had the star books and you had the epic books. Yeah, that's true too. Well, yeah, once you start factoring the epic books. You know, you had Barbara Slade doing Barbie at Star and stuff like that. So you you really did have a a wider Mm -hmm. variety of material. Isn't that amazing? It's like, it's one of those things where we're sitting here like, oh yeah, wow, we've reached this, you know, golden age. And (laughs) it's like... have we? (laughs) Well, you know, actually, this is the thing that's kind of interesting is there's... Like, this week was a really great week for comics. There were some fucking phenomenal comics out, you know? So it is it is hard for me to be on this stage of, like, well, are we really that much better off? And I, I don't know. I, I want to believe. I, I think we are as an industry and as a medium. Mm-hmm. But I think if you limit it to Marvel and DC, I think you can definitely make the argument that we're not. Well, that's it. I I would have to say the medium is better than ever. The industry, things get a little more suspect. And if you shrink the industry down to just looking at the big two, uh, it it becomes super, super problematic. But you don't have to, like, stretch things out too far before all sorts of amazing stuff sort of starts, you know falling on your head you know yeah no 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 entirely right entirely right um to jump back to the image thing for one last like plot shot and but this is as a segue to something else Mm -hmm. uh i loved seeing eric stevenson complain about uh toy comics again Mm -hmm. because i did the image expo then i went to the comic store and then i picked up transformers versus joshi one yeah by tom sealy and john barber and i was like yeah this is actually one of the most entertaining comics i've read in a really long time oh my god isn't it great i mean it's it's amazing to me like in some ways the zero issue worked a little bit better for me in some ways because uh the first issue of transformers versus gi joe i think requires you to know a little bit more about the transformers going in and um you don't quite get as much at least i i oh i i i, I really don't think so really because i yeah, was i, I think of... you can totally read this be uh, cold as a mm-hmm. uh with transformers lore mm-hmm. 
I think I think it actually requires you to know more about the GI Joes. I thought, well, okay, let's put it this way: having seen issue, read issue zero of of GI Joes, and and honestly, I don't think that the Joe, like I've I've read more issues of the Marvel book um, by far, although that will probably change very soon. But in this one, there's a lot that I think. Hmm, how do I put it? Like. There's some really interesting things going on with Transformers versus G.I. Joe. Uh, in some ways, the first issue of Transformers versus G.I. Joe is, and I think this is why it's it's really easy, like it's the perfect title to, to mock Stevenson with. It's the most insane avant-garde comic, it, I, one of them, out there. You know what I mean? Like, there's, so there's there's a way in which part of me is frustrated with the first issue of Transformers versus G.I. Joe because, yeah, I did not know, like, I'm, like, halfway through the book or three-quarters of the way through the book, and I'm like, oh, okay, these were the Decepticons. Oh, I just, okay, I just wasn't, I was not tracking this, you know, but but part of why that was difficult for me is there's so many amazing things going on in this book, and one of the things that I really like is sort of the way in which uh, Tom Scioli and John Barber play with how much you are, how much it's sort of a narrative constructed from the outside. I guess I don't, I don't know how to describe that better. But... I, I, you'd have to unpack that. Yeah. Um, before you do that, I want to say really quickly though that mm-hmm. I think it works really well if you know nothing about the Transformers, because then you really are reduced to all oh, their giant robots. Turns out they're dicks. <laughs> right. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think right. the idea of, oh, they're the Decepticons, it's almost like an, you have just enough knowledge to be problematic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, for me, because I, I literally grew up with the Transformers, I'm like, it's Soundwave! Oh, shit! It's Ravage! Right. Um, And for people who've never seen the characters before, I mm-hmm. really do think you can read it as, like, there's these aliens coming down... Are they trustworthy? No, they're, no, they're not trustworthy. Oh shit, they're meeting up with the bad guys. Like, right? And and it it works on that narrative. I think you literally might have enough, like just enough knowledge to know. Oh, there, there's good guys and bad guys in the Transformers. Right. Are these guys? I don't quite understand. Oh, I guess they were the bad guys. Well, and like well, it, it gives you an extra bump. Yeah. So there, to me, there is the little extra bump of when you first have Hawk meeting up with the robots, and he's like. You know, he's like, I greet you in peace, friendship, and partnership. And there's that great um, word balloon where he's like, my mastery of your language is not quite perfect. There's peace, but there's a better word, surrender. You offer us surrender. And I thought that was great because that is a great, like, oh, shit moment. But then it just became more, for me, unfortunately, of a sense of a little bit of the wait, wait, what's happening here that I just, I, you know, I just, the, the action scene that is the centerpiece of, of the book was a little more baffling for me um, than the sort of more. Oh, oh yeah. His, spread his out zero issue fight. Seoli's um, panel to panel mm-hmm. is, is problematic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in that sequence, well, it, because I feel like in between zero and one, there is a lot of, like I said, this this really does feel like an avant-garde comic. I do love sequences where like people are trying to say things, and there's literally like 
a sound Oh, the gunfire over it? Yes. Yeah. The, I love that. that I was totally did not expect that, and I loved it. Brilliantly done. And then there's an amazing – I love the fact that, that General Lawrence J. Flagg is pretty much Jim Steranko, as far as I can tell. Um, but that scene where he's like, if you meet Space Buddha, kill Space Buddha, you know. And he's talking over the other guy? Yeah, talking over the other guy. Yeah, like literally, literally, literally covering him. over – yeah, yeah. Covering over his balloon, which is wonderful. Fucking um, there, there's there's a lot to love about this, but I really I do agree that the the scene where the the transformers are fighting the Joes mm-hmm. suffers from really drastically unclear art. Yeah, uh, yeah. and unclear balloon placement as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like it, it gets very oddly complicated in ways that I don't know if it's meant to slow down the narrative. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, the, the Joes are quote unquote eaten by a sound wave yes. and then they cut themselves out in two pages, but you don't see them cutting themselves out. You just see them reappear with the line, great job laser soldier. Yeah. Well, you know? Y- yeah. And, exactly. and you're like, well, I, I can kind of fill it in. Right. But like, it takes the moment. It really does sort of pull you out just a little bit too much. Right. Right. And that's the sort of the way that I feel, um, it's, you know, it's interesting. I don't know if, if I'm being too influenced by, in my reading of it, or God help us if Tom Scioli had been too influenced in the making of it. But I think Joe McCulloch, AKA our good buddy jog over the comics journal wrote a little, quick overview of the zero the zero issue and he sort of talked about the continual way that Scioli places the figures kind of at a distance like there's a little bit of uh yeah these are toys you're seeing someone play with toys or these are like I I, what I kind of love is all the Joes look like toys all the way through yes exactly exactly um so there really is like Scioli moves to a, um, yeah, make the make the figures a lot more toyetic, especially in action, uh, and and much more cartoony in a lot of ways in just the the interpersonal scenes. Um, but there's a continual um, use of background to foreground pan action happening, you know, with sometimes multiple things happening in the same image um, that move progress from the foreground from the background to the foreground but in a way that I feel is very specifically designed to make you complete the final piece in your brain kind of Um, and I don't know if it worked all the way through but there were parts where I just I really was kind of overwhelmed by how uh, um just incredibly ambitious it is like i said i felt like i felt like colonel flag uh, general flag looked like jim steranko to me and i think that's because there were so so much of this book felt like scioli's working on a very very heavy steranko influence um again this may be colored by seeing him talk about you know address steranko specifically on twitter and saying things like yeah i definitely there's like one panel that i was one page where I was specifically thinking of you for issue zero, where I tried to tried to map out the page the way that you would. So mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of things that are really interesting in what Scioli's doing. The fact that he's also coloring the work 
So seeing how some the, of the, the coloring choices are great. Like yeah. it's it's the coloring is amazing. It is a masterful job. Yeah. Um not only in the various methods he uses to evoke yoldy timey comics and it's a real shame that this is printed in glossy paper like if only this book could be printed in newsprint holy crap i so wish this book could be printed in newsprint Mm -hmm. um but also his color choices in general are very interesting Mm -hmm. um for example, the scene in the middle of the action scene where it cuts back to the plan. Yes. And there's a very limited but very deliberate color choice in there mm-hmm. that even includes the balloons, the speech balloons. Yes. Um, or, you know, he, he's making very, very deliberate, limited palette choices all the way through the book mm-hmm. um, that are meant to evoke numerous things mm-hmm. it's it, he's going he's definitely going for nostalgia mm-hmm. i mean he clearly is going for nostalgia there's no clear white anywhere in this book on Sealy's pages yes anywhere on it that that makes it it's it's right. it's stained all the way through mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um but even inside that he's his military uniforms his his vehicles when he goes for green they're the toyetic green yeah they're plastic green. You know? Yeah. It's in, nothing is, the realism is not anywhere close to his plan for this book. Yes. Yeah, yeah, no. He's he's working in a very deliberate anti-realism that I think is fascinating. Like, I feel like Scioli's, seeing how this work lines up with the stuff that he was doing online, uh, especially some of the stuff with Satan's Soldier, um, really makes me think that he... It's just going to be a wild ride. But yeah, his color choices are crazy. And I'll be fascinated to see how the next issue works with that. Because the end, the ending of the first issue, which is kind of a, it has the great hook of like, oh yeah, here's our Joes that are now invading Cybertron. Um, with that great, like, whatever the planet is made of, it's about to have G.I. Joe boot prints all over its face. Just such a great line. Um, you know, It'll be tough because I feel like it'll be interesting to see how how Cioli carries it off. Let's put it that way. Because yeah. for myself, at least personally speaking, I'm not a big fan of like, oh, hey, here's a futuristic city. And we're just going to suggest that through vague lines and some odd coloring choices, you know. Um, and yet, really, Cioli, Cioli's very, very rough line work um you know is all about is all about kineticism anyway so it'd be really interesting to see like place seems somewhat secondary so be curious to see if he's but but that, that totally fits with the toyetic nature of it because yes. when you're a kid and you're playing with these toys you're not thinking about setting do you know what i mean right. you're literally thinking about oh i've got optimus prime oh i've got megatron right. let's fight Yes, the exactly. end. Like exactly. you had no wider narrative beyond that. Yeah. So you have this comic which is really tapping into that. It's the point where um you have the opening scene where you have uh Duke and Scarlet and he's like, So you're back in and it's like censored city. Yes. Because it's like you it's literally going, That's not important, you guys. Yeah. Like we'll you know, it's you don't need to know that. Right. It what's what's important is these guys are going to meet and then they're going to fight. Right. The end. It's it's 
on multiple levels, it's a fascinating, fascinating comic. Yeah, agreed. And, yeah. and so, super funny to go from Eric Stevenson, like, toy comics, they're not the future, to reading this, and it's like, this is the most interesting thing I've read this week. Yeah. And yeah. it's a toy comic. Yeah. It's, it, is it, it, really com- it really comes down to, ironically, what uh, Stevenson was saying. You follow the creators. If the creators want to do a toy comic and they can get away with amazing stuff doing it, then that's a great comic. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. What is great for me is that this weekend there was a, something called the Frankenstein Comic Meet in Portland, mm-hmm. which was a bunch of dealers just rented out space and sold comics for like, there was, I don't think there was oh, any single right. issue over $2. Wow. Uh, and the majority of it was just not stuff I'd want to buy, mm-hmm. either because, like, it was basically their overstock. Yeah. You know, so there's a lot of stuff that you just would not want to read. But there was one guy, Jeff, mm-hmm. and I got, like, half a run of uh, Captain Victory in the Galactic Ranger trade. Oh, man, that's awesome. For, like, three bucks. Ooh. Ah. And it's, it's it's like non-linear, do you know what I mean? So I've now yeah. got like issues 1, 2, 3, 6, 7, 9, 11, 12. Yeah. Right. You know, and you're like, oh, but um, like you, because Captain Victory is, it, like I was always like, you know, Eternals is like Kirby when he's getting out there. Like out there, both in terms of ideas, but also he's on the edge of losing it, for want of a better way of putting it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's not as urgent or coherent as mm-hmm. Fourth World, for mm-hmm. example. And then you have Captain Victory, which happens like like a, a good amount of time after that, like five years or so after that. Right. Um, and Captain Victory is just amazing, Jeff. <laughs> Captain Victory is just so good. Um, in part because you feel that it's Kirby processing Star Wars. Mm-hmm. While simultaneously processing his real life experience of war, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and still working out a lot of the kinks of Fourth World, mm-hmm. you know. So you have a hero who not only can be killed because mm-hmm. he just gets brought back to life, like they download his brain and stick him in a new clone body, mm-hmm. and like the first issue is like you've done this ten times. <laughs> Mm-hmm. You know, this is not the first time. Um, but the the motto of the fucking Galactic Rangers is victory sacrifice. Mm. Because it's expecting you to die in the yes. service, right. right? Right. And then you learn later on that the second half of the motto is sacrifice is continuity. Huh. They're fighting the Insectons led by a lightning lady. You know, alien race that makes no sense. Mm-hmm. But it's dark side again mm-hmm. because they land on Earth and they just take over everyone's mind. Mm-hmm. And again, like with language, they remove individuality wow. and force everyone to work towards, it's not even a common goal, towards mm-hmm. a selfish goal. Mm-hmm. You know, so Kirby is, Kirby is working out some deep shit here right. in, on a fantastical scale. It, it, you know, he's dealing in metaphor clearly. And it's just, it's, it's amazing stuff. Hmm. So you have, you have this very, like, bombastic, you know, it's Kirby, so everything's got three exclamation points and lots right. of quotation marks. Um, but it's the darkest fucking story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I... Because, because, because these heroes are literally born to die. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. they get no respite within that because they come back. Mm-hmm. And every time they come back, uh, you have come, cause he, he does like, he does it at least two times in the issues I've read. Mm-hmm. Um, he comments on the fact that he can't remember dying. Mm-hmm. And someone's like, oh yeah, we had to take that out because that would drive you insane. Ah, interesting. You know, it's so funny. All this stuff that you're saying, um, <laughs> I had one of those great, I just posted a thing about the Incredible Hulk over at, uh, on our site. Um, it's just really short. It was my attempt to actually write something kind of, <laughs> kind of short for our page for a change. Uh, and of course I went to go check on it. And of course our, our page is not accessible to me at the moment, which. No, I, 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 I can see it. Sketchbook the Hulk. Yes, yeah, exactly. So also, what are you doing posting? Oh, of course it is your time to post. I think it's much earlier in the week. I was like, why are you posting early in the week? No way, it's Thursday. Never mind. It's Thursday. I'm supposed to be posting here. But one of the things that I talk about is the the idea that, for me, the Hulk is such a Kirby creation, even though it's not necessarily a, you know, honestly, he did less issues of it than, than Stan Lee did, you know. But that that the Hulk is a little bit, is much more about Kirby's experience of the war than, and I don't really get into it much, but then he himself even actually wants to admit that Mm -hmm. the idea is, is that Bruce Banner is the Hulk is always tied to the military. The military is always hounding Bruce Banner. Uh, Well, there it's, it's always hounding the Hulk and the Hulk and his conflict with the military that that the, that the two things are tied together and specifically the idea that Bruce Banner goes out, saves a dumb teenager from getting killed and is basically traumatized the rest of his life. Oh, like, oh Banner's literally shell shocked. He by is. The military. That's right. Like, literally. <laughs> yeah. He's literally shell shocked. And so he come basically he's this guy who ha- suffers from blackouts, this, need to suppress his feelings and to hide things from other people and just kind of really, I just kind of had this thing of like, Oh, right. Yeah. You know, all the stuff that you hear these world war two veterans dealing with when they come back from the war, essentially. So the idea that the Hulk is basically a casualty of war story, it's a, it's a tragedy. Um, and that it contains all these seeds of things that, that Kirby goes on to talk about in his later stuff. Like you kind of can't have, we associate the fourth world. At least I do associate the fourth world stuff with as being a continuation of his Thor work, for example, but it's also very much a continuation of his, the stuff that you see in the Hulk, you know, that, well, yeah. Have you read Captain Victory? I haven't. I haven't. Oh, That's why yeah, I'm like, you, I you, hunt you, those up. yeah. You've got to hunt them up, and they are—they're simultaneously relatively easy to find online. And mm-hmm. I think I might just go online and buy the the other issues. Yeah, um, because I'm I'm like I've got half of them. Do you know what I mean? I'm like right. I should really just buy the bullet and buy the other half. Yeah. Um, but they're also like the last issue is super expensive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, because it just had such limited distribution or something. Yeah, and also it's the explicit fourth world tie-in issue. Oh, interesting. Really? Yeah, well, uh, so, so it goes, Jeff, because I've not read it. Uh-huh. But the, the, the Kirby mythology is that Captain Victory is Orion's son. 
Oh, right. Right, right, right. I think you, you had mentioned and, that. And a, appar- apparently this is, like, in there mm-hmm. somewhere. Like, he get, somehow gets around it and sa- explicitly says it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, which, but to be fair, like, there are there are references to the source in the series. Mm-hmm. And I think he just gets away with it because, A, I'm not sure lawyers were really reading Captain Victory at the time, right. and B, it's such a vague concept. Yes. That he could probably be like, the source, it all comes from the source. And you're like, well, I guess it comes from the source. And he doesn't, he, you know, he doesn't necessarily mean the, the DC source. Right. Exactly. Um, it could be a completely yeah, different source. Exactly. It's a different source. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, it's, it's, uh, it's a fascinating book. Hmm. And, and you really do get into the, the problems of later Kirby in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, Part because not so much the inking, although the inking does get a bit dodgy, but mm-hmm. the lettering gets really bad at one point, mm-hmm. and it becomes re- it suddenly seems like an amateurish comic, right? Because right. the lettering gets bad of all yeah. things. Yeah. Um, something that's fun as well is I believe in issue two, mm-hmm. Tom Brevoort has a fan letter, <laughs> where he talks about how it could. Yeah, he doesn't really like Kirby's solo stuff. But this could be like if they keep it up, it could like they could uh, Pacific could replace Marvel and DC as the major publisher. Wow! Uh, I, I find, yeah, and he signs himself as Tom Brevoort X, the Living Unknown, which I kind of love. Um, <laughs> let me tell you about the day. Sorry, let me tell you that the day I picked up Captain Victory issue one, I also acquired X Men one fifty one, X Men Annual issue five, and New Teen Titans issue thirteen. For a new title to be compared with these masterworks and still shine, it has to be a magnificent mag. Captain Victory is a magnificent mag. If your limited distribution doesn't kill it, it could become the number one comic in America. And like, in many ways, he's not changed. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's kind of fascinating to me that as a kid, and I'm guessing he was a kid at this point, because this is right. about 81, mm-hmm. um, he comments on like limited availability and distribution issues. It's yeah, eight, yeah, eighty eighty two is dated. Yeah, um, you know, with larger distribution and a wider rate line of comics, Pacific Comics can surpass Marvel and DC in the comic rat race and take a rightful place as the world's number one comic company. Good luck to you guys. Like, I, I don't know. I I love I love seeing creators like show up in letter columns when they're kids, mm-hmm. and you sort of see that they already have like the specific nerd gene. Yes, like the the wonk gene. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that's our, and that letter is so incredible. Like you're like, of course you're going to grow up to become a comic editor. Totally. Well, the thing that's amazing is jumping over to his Wikipedia page. That page they don't they don't say specifically how old he is, but they mention that he starts working as Marvel Comics as a college intern in 1989. So, yeah, this is this is probably him at. Uh, I don't know. Like okay, so so it's eight years earlier. So what age do you think he was when he was a college intern? I'm going to say 20. So, uh, okay, 20. so that's, let's say it's him at like 12, 13. Yeah, 12 or 13 years old talking about distribution and stuff like that. Yeah, it's kind of fascinating, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love it. I, I really loved it. I thought that was great. Um, anyway, Captain Victory, I highly recommend um, picking it up. And I really, really hope Dynamite reprints it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I'm kind of surprised they haven't. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of surprised that... Any company, never mind Dynamite, has the license to it and mm-hmm. has not printed a Kirby work. Right. 
Yeah, it's well, it's interesting. I think that there's because um... there's 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 actually fourteen issues of it because there's a special issue. Um, like that's two trades. That's mm-hmm. three trades if you really want. Right, right. I think I think honestly, it has a lot to do with the success of their. You know, I think I think if their Kirby Genesis series miniseries had been a big deal and their other books had been a big deal, I think they probably would have reprinted it by now. Yeah, I'm curious to see what's going to happen in the, in the light of the Casey Jack Captain Victory series that's coming out in a couple of months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'll be really interesting. Um, I would love to see that. Hey, so can I change subject just quickly? Because no, no, to- totally change subject. Uh, I do want to say that another book that out of, like I said, several great books that I read this week. Um, I really loved Afterlife with Archie issue six. Um, Oh, the Sabrina issue? Yes, the Sabrina <laughs> issue was... Who, who saw that ending coming, Jeff? Oh, Cause, man. Because I'll tell you right now, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> it was so good, Graham. That was... It was all building. And, and I think part of it is... It's interesting to me because I don't know how much um, any... I think any person reading it cold would have, as in, no no knowledge of any of the pop cultural references sort of being dropped, it would it would really probably lie flat on the page. But Yeah, but I, it's kind of not made for that audience. Well, exactly. Exactly. When you're like when you're like, oh look, her doctor's called Doctor Lovecraft, like you're you're working for a very specific audience. Yes. No, well and what that's it. But it's also kind of that I mean if you have the audience that knows Sabrina the Teenage Witch and knows Lovecraft and then appreciates, like, I was like, oh, son of a bitch, he really is working in, like, he explicitly references the Wicker Man. There's a big, there, I, there was just one panel there. The the wedding panel stuff is very specifically list, lifted from Rosemary's Baby. Like, it's just, it's just like, a, it's just this little perfect pop confection. Like it I am, all I am so excited for the solo series now. Mm-hmm. Oh, me too. Well, I was actually excited once I saw, I think some of that cover artwork just blew my mind. Like, I'm like, oh, I, I really want this. But having read this issue, I'm like, yeah, I really, I'm super, super excited. Because there's part of me that sort of worries that uh, Aguirre Sacasa may not be like Francesco Francavia just brings so much to this title for me and does such an amazing job. Again, somebody whose coloring is just, uh, lends such an extra dimension to, to the art, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm completely excited to see, cause I can't remember who the artist is for Sabrina, but it's, I want to say it's Robert Hack. Yeah. I might be misremembering that name. They did the, they did. And it's the guy who did the cover where I was like, Oh, yes. holy shit. That looks amazing. So, um, uh, yeah, so, uh, Robert Hack is his name. Yeah, so I'm, I'm pretty. And I, I think the cover isn't the cover. I think that was just like promotional art. Is it okay? That could be. I thought it was one of several covers, but I could totally be wrong. But I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm very excited. Yeah, I thought Afterlife with Archie. It was a good week. It's like I read that. I read Zero, Transformers versus GI Joe, and you know, uh, the James Stucco issue of Avengers. Oh, and I guess also that that uh, Scott Snyder, Batman, Riddler wrap-up, along with Saga, I was like, 
this is kind of a crazy oh. embarrassment of riches, you know? Oh, can we talk about a saga then? Because I was, uh, this was the issue where I was like, I think I've gone off saga. Really? Yeah. Okay. And, and, and for a really simple reason. Yeah. I just don't buy the drug story at all. Like, oh. at all. I, mm. In the slightest. Mm. I, and I feel that all the, this is a PSA. This is the first scene of a PSA. Yeah. Thing shows that Vaughn isn't convinced by it either. Mm. It feels like flop sweat. It, I, I, but I just do not buy it in the mm-hmm. slightest. And I found it problematic in the previous issue, mm-hmm. but this issue where she's like, I'm not really over it. And they basically like, oh, well, if you take it again, I'll be fine. And then she goes home and she's still high and like she's saying funny things and then she fucks her husband. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is, it felt, stunningly clumsy mm. and I was like I'm not buying any of this and if the, if like you're really heading towards they split up because she gets strung out on drugs and he's hanging out with another woman like if that's really where you're going right. I'm kind of done mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah I don't know I mean I think it, I understand your I understand is, is how I should put it um, this was not the st- strongest issue of saga for me because i kind of feel like hmm, all the other parts of the story i was kind of felt somewhat perfunctory i suppose you know the the some of the prince robot stuff i i'm like yeah yeah this is kind of taking moving too slow here yeah exactly um, yeah yeah get to the point yeah yeah get to the point uh i don't know it's interesting cuz i i really when this when this arc started, I really did kind of have this feeling of like, oh, okay, Vaughn's either going to lose a lot of readers, you know, or he's really going to be able to, to pull it off and kind of have all of us hooked for life. I do think that it's kind of a situation where he may not be pulling it off, but I'm yeah, still... I, 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 I... I think he's like, I think he's really in risk, running the risk of really not pulling it off. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But weirdly, I guess I really appreciate the fact that he was taking the chance with it. You know, I mean, it's sort of, it may, it may fuck him up, but I felt like he really kind of, the fact that he went right to this idea of like, okay, and this is where the family falls apart. And to me, knowing Vaughn, I, <sighs> I suspect that all of this stuff that he's doing, the drugs, you know, the the drug stuff, the possibly the other, the temptation of the other mom, these characters I, sort of becoming separated, um, seems to me almost like, yes. It feels too obvious, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. you're you're yeah. I I also have that fear as well that like it's well not even a fear. I guess a hope mm-hmm. that it's a fake out. But right mm-hmm. now I'm just like all of it is is alienating me because it seems too clumsy. Yeah, I mean honestly, I feel. Before the drug stuff started in, I kind of felt that, honestly, you could tell a really interesting story about a couple that just gets pulled apart because one person's got to work, the other one's got to watch the kid, and, you know, basically yeah, and, life and, just and that, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and, and the, the, the fact that both of them have expectations of the other that they are unaware of, mm-hmm. and and that those fester mm-hmm. in there. Yeah. Which it felt like was what he was setting up in the first issue. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, mm-hmm. first issue of this arc, I should say. 
mm-hmm. um, felt much more interesting. Yeah. You know, all, uh, everything he's done since feels really obvious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm very, I'm very curious to see where it ends up going. Because, yeah, it does, it feels, it's, it's obvious, but of course, I mean... I, I don't know. I'm just going to write it out and have faith. I mean, the great thing about Saga is it's not necessarily like it was an especially subtle book in many ways, you know. So, oh, yeah, and I'm, I'm not jumping off. Sure, but, but I can but see I, you like, being... This was the first issue where I was like, huh, like, I think I didn't like that. Yeah. Like, the first issue of the entire series where I, I was not like, this is amazing! Like, <laughs> but not even like, I wasn't like, this is amazing. I was like, I don't think I like that. It was that much of a shift. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I, I can see that. I, I certainly can. I don't know. I I totally follow. I, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of on the same page, but kind of, I don't know, a little more optimistic, I guess. So I'm not. Uh, should we talk about seconds or should I talk about seconds? I briefly? really should. Um, and then we should talk about Avengers because we didn't last time. And pre- we really should this time. We and really we're running should. out of time. Yeah, exactly. So... so Oh, but we also have to talk about Supreme. Damn it. Okay, seconds. Go. Let's go with Supreme Blue Rose, and then I'll come around to seconds, because I think my a lot of my statements on seconds will be uh, either enjoyably or maddeningly brief. So Okay. Um, I had a really – did I tell you that I had a really strange experience with uh, Supreme? You told Tumblr, and that's okay. part of what made me go pick up the book today uh, digitally and read it so that we could – Well, here's the thing. I read it digitally, and I had – my first response to reading digitally was, I don't know what I just read. And my second response was, I have to read this in print. Mm. And when I read it in print, it was like reading an entirely different comic. Oh, interesting. Like okay. entirely, uh, things that literally did not make sense to me when I read it digitally mm-hmm. made perfect sense to me in print. Mm. And and the, the, I was like, it's a review PDF. It's everything that's in the print book. There's mm-hmm. nothing different. Literally, the format and the medium of it mm-hmm. shifted my reading experience 100%. Interesting. Huh. Which has never happened before. So from from what to what? From how to... Uh, oh, I, it's very much. When I read it the first time, I was like, I don't know what I just read. Mm-hmm. I I I I feel, I felt that it was massively disjointed. Mm-hmm. I felt that it was uh, maddeningly obtuse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I I felt that it was simultaneously a very pretty book and a book that goes out of its way to make itself ugly mm-hmm. uh, and visually disruptive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it just felt like a very contrarian book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a book that did not want to be read. Mm. And then when I read it in print, mm-hmm. all of that went away. Hmm. It flowed totally organically. The art completely worked for me, especially the things that I'd, I'd found so disruptive reading digitally. Hmm. Um, yeah, it, it was it was night and day. Interesting. I, I went from... I don't know what the fuck this is to I am loving this book. Mm. Well, I have to say, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed, I've only read it in digital and I only read it very recently because of your comments. Um, and I, I did quite like it. I, I did think that it was, 
it was still pretty disruptive to me. Um, I thought the, I thought the art was amazing, especially the way that the, the intrusive blue coloring over everything is, was, I thought just terrific. Like I really yeah, like, and, and, and I, I, I really like that was maddeningly distracting mm. in digital, like maddeningly distracting. And then in print, and here's the weird thing. In print, I feel that the colors are brighter and sharper, mm. and it, it works so much better. Interesting, interesting, huh? Wow, I'll have to I'll have to look at it in print because I definitely thought that the way that he was doing it, that the the way the the everybody I should say the the whole point of the book, um, Ellis and what's the name of the artist? Uh, Tula Lute. Yeah, Tula Lute. Um, that it was a very, I don't know, it, 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 you know, I think for the, Ellis spends a lot of time talking, comparing comics writing to music, and it's interesting because I never find his stuff, um, I never, it never feels like an especially musical read, even when he's going on and on about rhythms or whatever, but this actually did feel to me like a very musical comic, you know? Um, it, I, it had a lot of, i like the idea that there was this level of, you know, sort of interference or noise that was, you know, almost like, you know, albums where that sort of thing is a, a tone in the background is actually part of the, the album's soundscape, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Very. Yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. So I, I ended up, I ended up liking it. It really did feel, uh, the majority of it sort of felt like, I don't know, between this and the first issue of trees, which is funny because the third issue is out and I, which I haven't read and I read the second issue and at the moment can't even access it. I sort of feel like oh, you, you and me, I, exactly the same thing. Right? Really? Yeah. In in that, I saw that three three was out. I had the opportunity to pick it up. I didn't pick it up. Mm-hmm. Um, but my first thought on on finishing Supreme Reprint was that it was very much a piece on on trees mm-hmm. with trees. Mm-hmm. Um, he Alice is in a very interesting space mm-hmm. with this, and also with his his image announcement yesterday, mm-hmm. uh, where he does seem to be writing about uh, disconnection and disruption Mm -hmm. in social spaces Mm -hmm. uh, and the curation thereof. Mm, Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. That makes a lot of sense. Um, So, yeah, I think he's kind of at a, a potentially good stage in his career. He may be getting... Uh, since it seems like he's back and doing more comics work, it sounds like he may be coming into it with um, a little bit more ambition than he's had for a while. So Supreme Blue Rose number one so far, uh, I thought was was really enjoyable read. Although, interestingly enough, another book that I picked up specifically because you recommended it, uh, I picked up I Am the Cat number one. And in a way, they're almost the same book, you know? Yeah, um, actually, yes, that's totally true. Although, where does number one end up? Because I, I read it, I read the full thing, I read the graphic novel. The, the first installment of I Am the Cat goes 
actually quite a long ways. I don't even think I got through it. It's something like 43 pages or something. So she meets the cat. He starts telling his stories about World War One, And then I think there's another chapter after that in the issue that I that I know I haven't read. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. I hadn't put those two t- together, but it is essentially the same story. <laughs> it really is. So I was like, <laughs> huh, all right. Well, apparently comics, you know, it, it's like comics. Comics are really interested in female reporters right now. Female, well, female reporters, but comics are really interested in rich patrons who are going to pay them lots of money for insane projects. That's what, that's well, what comics are really interested in. Well, yes. <laughs> And you're surprised. Why? So you didn't like uh, I Am The Cat? Oh, no, I liked it fine. I just, I, I put it down because I think uh, dinner came along and uh, then I meant to pick it back up. I don't know. We'll, we'll see where it's going to go. I mean, the the illustrations are great. Uh, and yeah, no, I think actually generally I, I quite like it. It's just. Um, uh, you didn't feel any impetus. You know, it's been a crazy week for digital comics too. I mean, honestly, that's that's on me more than I picked up I am the cat, like I said, I think last week, and between trying to make sure that I got the Avengers read, between reading seconds, and then all this Batman stuff hit the fucking comicsology site. So I'm just I'm just way backed up on, on my digital comic reading. Like it was one of those situations where I just put it down because I got called for dinner and when I came back it was like, Oh my god, Batman you know, so <laughs> the Jeff Lester story. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I have to say that's pretty Oh my god, Batman. The end. <laughs> so hey, tell me about seconds. Uh because I'm really looking forward to picking it up. I haven't picked it up yet. Okay. Seconds uh is a really it's it's an interesting book. I'll be uh, you know, I was like, oh damn it. Like I'm like I'm wow, worried that really? I have to talk you, about you, it. You don't like it? No, 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 no. How do I put it? Um it's, well, just sort of in the same way that I suppose Ellis is always talking about music. It's in some ways Brian Lee O'Malley, for better or for worse, is the guy for whom, you know, the comics music overlap is pretty much perfect. You know what I mean? So Seconds feels like the like the follow-up album. Like after you do the, you know, after you do the album that's like the number one album of, you know, all time or at least of the year that it's released and you yeah. become this big superstar what do you do as your next follow-up yeah yeah how do, how do you follow up the career defining album yeah exactly and it you know it's not surprising that o'malley very cleverly structures the book about you know someone who is trying to follow up kind of their career defining or career starting move. It's the story of Katie, this woman who had started a successful restaurant called seconds. She's in the process of trying to get her second restaurant open and um, is continually running into problems trying to get that new restaurant going. There's all this stuff where the, you know, the, the contractor who's working on taking the building over that she wants it to be in. Um, it's much more ambitious, but it just, and it's just, it's kind of constantly sort of stalling out. And so she's sort of trapped in this chapter of her life that in some ways 
she sort of feels that she's outgrown. She's basically living upstairs uh, in the apartment of this building over the restaurant. Mm-hmm. And she no longer quite works in the restaurant, but she's still seen as the boss by everyone who lives there. Um, so O'Malley's, the things that are interesting about seconds are the things that are, I think you might find really frustrating because it is so on the nose. There is a little bit, just not nearly in the same, to the same degree, thank goodness, but O'Malley is, has a bit of that Matt Fraction syndrome of, okay, I know that you guys are going to be scrutinizing this, but I can out-scrutinize everything better than you. I can I can totally... <laughs> exactly. I'm so much more of my own ass than you are. Right, exactly. And I'm going to show you how self-aware I am and even how self-aware my critique is of how self-aware I am, that therefore I have out-self-awared all of your critiques about my <laughs> self-awareness. Um, you know, that kind of zero-sum game. Uh, the things that were f- frustrating about about seconds for me is is that it has a large cat well it doesn't have a cast nearly as large as scott pilgrim and of course it's worth keeping in mind that scott Pilgrim's story really does spread out over six volumes but the cast is neither as big nor as deep as scott pilgrim and it's frustrating in a way there's like the story is very much Katie's story, and it's about her interactions with the people in her life um, until this magical component comes in, um, and how she uses the magical component to try and change her life and change her relationships. I think one of the things that really ends up being frustrating about Seconds is the fact that none of the characters have even the kind of... Um, cartoony depth that the that the Scott Pilgrim's characters had. You know, there's characters in Scott Pilgrim that I feel like, you know, even in just sort of a very simple, sketchy stroke, you know enough about who that character is. And in fact, part of O'Malley's critique of what's going on with Scott Pilgrim is as the volumes progress, you realize sort of how much up his own ass he is that he's not tracking how these other people are living or what's changing about their lives. Um, interestingly enough, Seconds is about a protagonist who it's is clearly up their own ass from the beginning. And then, unfortunately, a lot of the characters, even the characters that are fleshed out, are fleshed out in such a way that they never really escape feeling like you know, creatures from the outline, you know what I mean? But Mm -hmm. all that said, I actually think that, that it is, um, a, a really decent read. It's an enjoyable read. It's not, it's not earth shaking Brian Lee O'Malley, but it is a accumulation of his influences that I like, um, that, sort of make it worthwhile. Like I, I, it's t- I need a better phrase for my high concept pitch, but basically it's, it's a slacker Miyazaki movie. 
You know, it's like I can't, you can't quiet. It's slacker isn't quite the right word, but it is v- seconds. Part of the joy of it, it is very much. Uh, it's a Miyazaki movie about adults. You know, it's an animated film with fantastic premises in which the fantastic comes in and changes the course of an ordinary, some would even say selfish person's life and puts them in a completely different path and gives them a better path from being able to interact with this fantastic, fantastical element that um, is, for the most part, pretty well thought out despite the ways in which the protagonists themselves can barely understand what they're dealing with. So, uh, so I liked it. I, I liked second. I liked seconds. I, it's tough for me to be like, Oh, I liked it a lot or, Oh, I loved it. I thought it was basically, um, it was a project that it was like, I read it. I'm, I enjoyed it. I want him to go on to do something else. Uh, you know, and I think that it's only when you start thinking of it in sort of those terms of like, oh, my God, this has to be the next biggest thing ever. Um, I don't think so. I mean, it's, you know, there are there are signposts here that, that suggest that there are things that O'Malley might have trouble with going forward in terms of that kind of... Uh, um, I don't know the, the, I guess just sort of the way in which he, he structures his stories, the way in which his character interactions work, but you know, but it, but on the other hand, it's, it's absolutely, it's, it's an enjoyable album. It's just not the all time classic album that the, that the previous album was, you know? Mm-hmm. So well, that, that, that sounds totally reasonable. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, but I I sort of feel, I don't know, have you seen much word on the internet about it? I've not been looking. Uh, I've I've not really seen a lot. A lot of what I've seen has been basically like, it's the next thing from the guy to Scott Pilgrim. It's awesome, but like not really engaging with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I'd be lying if I said, you know, I'd I'd really been paying attention to a lot of, Mm -hmm. of response to it one way or the other. Right. Right. Yeah, I'd be kind of curious. It definitely doesn't seem to be the sort of book that inspires, that is going to inspire sort of that same amount of devotion or uh, attention to detail, but it's on the on the fan end of things. But it is, it's, it's good. I'm really glad I picked it up. I'm glad I read it, um, you know, and, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what you think of it in that sense. Because it seems like it's a fun book to try and talk about. Okay, at some point I will read it. It's literally, I I have not picked it up yet. Yes. In, in large part, actually, because of the price tag, I have to admit. Yeah, the price tag is, it's 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 a it's a hefty price tag. I kind of hope that they will do a soft cover version of it as well, because I don't necessarily I'm think... Sh- I'm sure they will. Yeah. I mean, maybe down the line, but I'm sure they'll do a soft cover. Yeah, I, w- I would think so. It It's... Um... But it, it isn't it like thirty dollars or something like that? Twenty five. It's, tw- it's twenty five bucks. It's twenty five bucks. I mean, it's a hardcover that is, I don't know, over three hundred pages. So, um, you know, it's, it's fine. You know, I mean, it really is one of those things of like, the there is a lot of ways in which the hardcover has you do have a little sense of like, eh, this is kind of. 
milking it a bit, but you know. But that's that's uh, that's a problem mm-hmm. in in O'Malley's status almost. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like you, you're the guy who's done Scott Pilgrim. Mm-hmm. Of course, the publisher is going to try and make an event out of your follow up, right? Like, no matter what you intend the follow-up to be, of course the publisher is going to be like, it's the guy who did Scott Pilgrim, it's what comes next. Mm-hmm. Like, it is, it is the difficult second album syndrome. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, it, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter what you were doing after, uh, I'm trying to think about, I, oh, after, okay, it doesn't matter what you're doing after, what's the story of Morning Glory? That mm-hmm. album sold so much. Right. That the next album is going to get so much attention. Yes, exactly. Irregardless of what is on it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I do think I do think that um this will probably have a, a good life as a soft cover. I think it'll have a great life as a library book. I think that it's probably going to I think it has a really, really good chance of finding a readership in the you know, kind of the, I, I think that, I think that it, it's, it's going to have a life to it, but it's not going to have the immediate, like, oh my God, this is great. Everyone falls off the chair sort of feeling to it. And it is for 25 bucks. You're like, it's, it, it's, it's expensive. Here's the thing. Even at 1999, mm-hmm. I probably would have rushed out to get it. Mm-hmm. Something about twenty, like would you get over that twenty dollar mark? No, it's totally you, true. It's you totally you have true. that feeling of like, yeah, hmm, I'm I'm gonna need, I'm I'm really gonna you know have to think about this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I haven't I haven't read it yet, but I turned around and I picked up that second volume of Injustice in hardcover um, because it was under twenty dollars. You know, I, and actually, it's funny. I was just saying twenty five dollars, and I just went to check the Thanos: The Infinity Revelation graphic novel that Marvel sent me, mm-hmm. which I I believe I still cannot officially talk about because they they sent something saying it's a reviews are under embargo until release, and it's not coming out till September. Wow! Um, but that's twenty five dollars, right? Right. And I will say this: unless you are a extremely high, <laughs> or b <laughs> Really, really love Starlin at his prog rock best. Right. It's probably not worth $25. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, it's kind of interesting because I do feel that 25 bucks does feel like the level that Marvel and DC have put down for their OGN hardcovers. And, um. Is that I, how much the, the Earth One graphic novels are too? Uh, Are they twenty five? I, I thought they were twenty. Um, I thought that they were. I'm gonna go and check. Yeah, check check diagram. Uh, keep talking while I'm doing this, Jeff. Oh yes, allow me to keep talking, everybody. Uh, let's see what else. Um, blah blah blah. blah. Uh, it is twenty two ninety nine. They're splitting the difference. It's twenty three dollars. Oh really? Twenty three bucks. Okay. All right. So, huh. Interesting. Is that for but the it's still, it's, cover? Yeah, That's, it's still over 20. Yeah. Yeah, it's still over 20. I think that they, yeah, I really wish that they would push it under 20. I think that they would get the, the traffic that they would get would make up for, you know, the, the amount of money that they're losing per customer. But yeah, maybe not, you know. Um, 
but yeah, gra- <laughs> so I mean, a- again, to go back to it, yeah, at at for twenty bucks, you know, under twenty bucks, I was like, eh, Justice Volume Two, I can treat myself. Whereas if it had been twenty five, it was like, no way, I'll wait for the soft cover. I'll totally wait. But knowing that the the hard cover was nineteen ninety nine, and I think the soft cover was going to come out at like fifteen ninety nine. It was yeah. That's a, it. You really are like well, the four dollars. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That was when I was like, eh, it's worth the four bucks to not wait the six months or whatever. So, yeah, kind of interesting the way this stuff works out. So, Graham McMillan. So Jeff Lester. I think it's that time that that yeah, that that we have fifteen minutes to talk about Avengers. Yeah, we'll probably maybe we'll run longer, but. Holy shit, man. So how far did you read? I told you where I read I I, I want to say I got just past I, I got just past you. I got into like 183 or something. Wow. Okay. So that's like three or four issues. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, uh I basically here's here's why I got past. Mm-hmm. Um you got to the part where Steve Gerber does a villain issue with the beast. Yes. Yeah. Uh which was the point where I was suddenly aware that Jim Shooter was no longer writing the book. And I wondered how long it would be before you got a regular creative team again. Mm-hmm. Because by that point as well, Perez has been off for a few issues. Right. Um, and I did this in large part because in the chunk we just read, mm-hmm. uh, the, the post Engelhart chunk where he's been kicked off the book because of the dreaded deadline. Yes. Like oh they're explicitly God, are like, insane. They're, yeah, they're God. explicitly like, he yeah. was not doing it. He was not hitting his deadlines. There is, a metric shit ton of villains. Yes, there is a basically like there, there's, a there are issue arguably every eight issues on Avengers. Yes, after and they kick him off for that. Yes, it's it's amazing, mm-hmm. and you get. But also, Shooter doesn't finish his own story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, he he comes. Well, back he and, does. He, yeah. he does for the final issue, but he yes. doesn't for the two issues before that. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, and it's kind of amazing because you have. Like, you have Englehart explicitly thrown under the bus yeah. for not meeting deadlines. And then, for the next 25 issues, no one else really meets their deadlines either. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, and because it is, for the conspiracy theorists uh, uh, among us, like me, it's a lot easier to believe that um, that, that was a very expedient reason. You oh, know, yeah. Engelhart was probably thrown off for many other reasons. Exactly. And this was the one, but they really tagged him with it fully. It's fascinating to then watch them, A, like, basically not be able to go any farther without. And B, it seemed like there was a very specific desire to try and keep George Perez working, despite the fact that everyone seemed to wear that George Perez was not going to be able to draw 12 issues of Avengers a year. You know, yeah, it's, it's it's kind of amazing. Yeah, because you do just have, yeah. So so those twenty five issues are, uh, they are weirdly readable, and yet yes, they are very, weirdly readable. Very very sloppy, mm-hmm. very sloppy. Mm-hmm. In large part because, and you and I went through this in email. You get Conway for only about eight issues, and then Shooter comes in, and Shooter proceeds to tell variations of the same story three times in a row. Yes. Yeah. So, so yeah. Should we should we break down? Let like listeners, in case you're wondering, one fifty and one fifty one was the like they throw Englehart under the bus because the choosing of the new team ends up running into they have to break two their issues. Cars. Yeah, two issues in part because they have to pad it with a fill in, uh, uh, basically an issue worth of fill in material. Um, yeah. Uh, Conway and, and comes then they, in. They, 
Yeah, I was going to say they explicitly say it's because Engelhardt did not meet his deadlines. Right. Uh, we're going to try m- far harder. Like mm-hmm. they they're explicitly on that. Oh yeah. Like deadlines are it's really important to us. This is a great book. Like we're going to try really hard. Yes. Yes. Uh, exactly. And Conway then comes on as regular writer and does not last long. Not long like, at all. Con- Conway is off by what one fifty eight. Um, I uh, nope. He's done one fifty. He's like one fifty-five. He's here. Let's see. Yeah, one fifty-seven is his last issue. So Conway is on the book for six months, and is then gone. Oh wait, one fifty-seven is his last issue because yeah. one fifty-six is written by Jim Shooter as well. So oh, well then one one fifty-seven he writes. Yeah, so it, it's it's like he makes it maybe seven issues with one issue being written by someone else. At least one issue being written by someone else. So uh, then you and during the course of it, you basically you've got the return of Wonder Man. Uh, they fight a giant chicken in New Orleans. Oh, yeah. Because Zuvembi's, which we went through last time. Yes. Yeah. They bring one run back and do a zombie story where they can't say zombie and they say Zuvembi. Yeah. Zuvembi's great. Then you've got the um, you've got this massive like living laser and the wizard storyline that leads into an Avengers story that I, uh, an Avengers annual that I did not bother to read. Um, and it just kind of seemed it, it's amazing how much it feels like on the one hand Conway and then shooter are trying to continue in the Engelhart mode. And Conway God, very explicitly is trying to be Engelhart, especially in the first issues. He really is. He's trying to even ape Engelhart's very particular, uh, dialogue and, and narration style mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah um and but also the uh Engelhardt's obsession with like tying up loose ends which to be honest don't really need to be tied up yes. like making everything quote-unquote fit mm-hmm. um but whereas Engelhardt made it seem exciting to go back into the past yeah. and also made everything seem kind of logical mm-hmm. uh like what Conway does just does not yeah. Conway's, Conway's stuff just feels like really weird like weird and forced and Mm -hmm. and unnatural yeah yeah it it is it is interesting to me the ways in which um him and conway and shooter can sort of if they work really hard at it they can do two of the things that Engelhart brings to the to to the scene but never all three you know it's kind of like well, we can give you a story. We can give you a oh god damn it! I swear to God, this fucking Black Knight issue also feels like a damn th- with Don Heck. That oh, feels like oh, a- okay. So that's uh, one fifty seven, right? Yeah. Okay, so I have to tell you right now the that issue one fifty seven was a, an issue I read when I was a kid because that was uh, a Marvel uh, that was reprinted in the Marvel Superheroes Annual. Wow. Which was like the Christmas gift that I got. And just that story, like nothing before or behind it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's, it's a fairly continuity heavy story. Yes, very much so. Yeah. Um, that also is really weird because the story is a ghost is inhabiting a statue of the, go- of the Black Knight. Yes. And does not believe that he's not the Black Knight and eventually punches himself into dust because the vision is trying to tell him that he's not really uh, Dane Whitman. The yes. end. Mm-hmm. And that is like the story they chose. 
Yeah. I was like, hey, everyone, this guy gets into the Avengers. Right. Well, it, it in a way, it's like then 20 issues later, you get the amazing Beast story um, by Steve Gerber and Carmen Infantino, which also oh, is similarly – as shit. Who it's impossible to imagine anyone picking up the Avengers for the first time with that issue and being like, oh, yeah, I'm coming back for next issue. You know what I mean? It's just it's not it's not it, it's a really strange. It's also similarly kind of a this doesn't feel like an introduction to the team, you know, so Conway gets himself buried in this amazing tra- rat trap that first is the living laser and the serpent crown then manages to sort of stumble into, and it never really feels planned. It always does end up just feeling like these weird sloggy messes, like this weird, unnatural supervillain team up, which is kind of awesome. If you ever wondered what it would look like, if one of the members of the village people was from Submariners Atlantis and then got endless amounts of power, that part was kind of great. Seeing seeing Tyrak the Tyrant or whatever beat the crap out of the rest of the Avengers was so weird and sloppy. Again, I just I don't know. I it's it I'm sure everyone is is not at all surprised that considering how much Graham and I loved Englehart's run that we're left a little more, you know, more than a little cold by the stuff that follows. But I'm just really surprised by how much it is considering what a ridiculous manifesto was written in 151. What a kind of all out slop house the following issues are. It, it is amazingly lazy is a terrible thing to say, but you get the feeling that if you know, people were making Avengers as a uh, high priority as mm-hmm. was laid out in that Steve Englehart is late. Fuck them. Mm-hmm. Uh, editorial that they're just bad at their jobs because yeah. it's it, every single issue seems weirdly haphazard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, and, but then you get to shooter. Oh yeah. And shooter, shooter, shooter has, it, I was thinking when I was reading through these issues, Shooter's, uh, so Shooter's first issue is 158, I think, as a regular writer. Yeah, as a regular writer. Uh, and, he, and he, he essentially makes it through 176, mm-hmm. except he doesn't because there are like five fill-in issues in there, two of which are parts of his story that he just didn't write. Yes, that he plotted, but he gave to, in one case, Bill Mantlo, in the other case, David Michelini to write. Um, and that's separate uh, so, apart from just flat out fill in issues. Yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, we had this ongoing story. Well, it's not happening. Um, but like, I was reading it and I was like, I totally know what shooter of this era would have done with the Justice League. Mm. You know, because really? it feels like in a weird way, Justice League fan fiction. Oh, really? Yeah, because I was like, okay, so what it's going to be is Superman is going to feel that he's carrying the team. Mm hmm. Batman is going to feel that, you know, Superman isn't respecting the rest of the team enough. Mm-hmm. One woman is just going to be in the background because shooter and woman characters, holy mother of Christ, he's got issues. Um, <laughs> you know, you, you, like, I feel like everything translates a bit too much. Shooter tries to bring in, Shooter's spoken in the past about when he started as a teenager writing for DC, writing for Legion. He tried to bring in the Marvel dynamic. Mm-hmm. But then when he takes over Avengers, 
he doesn't understand the Marvel dynamic. He he in in a very real way is the the forefather of today's Marvel, wherein the writer projects their own ideas of how the characters should act onto the characters, as opposed to extrapolating how the characters have acted. So all of a sudden you get this amazing, like, Iron Man isn't giving enough to the team, Captain America's really pissed off with them, Captain America's shouting at him, and you're like, this is, like, where's this dynamic come from? Yeah. And the answer is, it came from Shooter wanting to have this dynamic. Mm-hmm. Shooter has a very um, alpha male thing. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. That is that. Wait, wait, that I think is the through, biggest part. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which comes through in all of the stories. So, that, so in you in three subsequent stories, uh, a man gets power beyond even what the Avengers can handle. Yes, um, can, it lets it go to his head. Mm-hmm. And it's ultimately brought down by his human failings. Right. Now, the other thing that I mentioned to Graham in an email about this that I find super fascinating is I was I was well aware of this for those who know your Avengers history whatsoever, the apex, the the big finale of Shooter's Avengers run this time around is the the building towards uh, the Avengers fighting the mysterious, the enemy, also known as Michael, who, um, you know, spoilers for a book that's 30 years old, is Korvac, who's come uh, to the past, basically, and is, has ended up with omnipotent power and is very carefully trying to nudge things in the way that he wants from behind the scenes. That's his ending point. He starts off with uh, uh, basically almost entirely the same story where the uh, researcher out in a quiet research town develops ultimate power, takes over the entire city, (laughs) turns all the women in town into his concubines. um, And then, and, but let's not forget the women who are, he turns into concubines are split between women who don't want him and are, and are worthy or bitches who are, Immediately ready to catfight yes. over him. Yeah. Because they are power hungry harridans. Yes, they, they like yeah. talk Real about dangerous. your Madonna or whore yeah. like dichotomy here, Jim Shooter. Like yeah. it's astounding. And it and it really is interesting. You see in other traces of the Avengers, like a really good example might be, for example, Kang. Kang is a villain that the Avengers has faced that it can be argued is always being motivated by women. It's either I've got to, you know, like my queen is in a hybrid slumber and I am going to conquer all the other centuries because my life is empty, or I'm going to, you know, engage in a game with the Grandmaster so that I can, like, bring this woman back to life. And then I realize ultimately I would rather kill the Avengers than, than have happiness or the classic, like I have basically, I know there's the celestial Madonna. I intend to, you know, make her my wife and therefore enslave the universe to mine. So in other words, Kang, who is kind of a crazy girl, crazy invader from time has nothing on Jim shooters, villains that ultimately, as soon as they get power are interested in getting it on with women. And it's a really fascinating, 
it's a fascinating take, as Graham puts it. He can only really sort of define stuff, especially in these early issues, through the alpha male. And one of the things that oh, I think... Oh, but, but Jeff, that, like, think about Jim Shooter's later career. Yes. Jim Shooter is writing draft one of Secret Wars 2 in these issues. Yes. He's also writing Starbrand, which yes, remains much. one of the most fascinating yeah. and horrifically problematic yes. comics ever published. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There, there is a thing going on with Shooter about the the uh, Jim we, Shooter. Jim Shooter wants to explore the concept of ultimate power and what it does specifically to a man and yeah. specifically to his relationship with women. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really fascinating that for a guy who notoriously mocked Steve Gerber's interest in realism and and Gerber's insistence that he wanted to see bullets ripping through the chests of characters in comic books um, that Shooter derided that as being completely inappropriate. That Shooter has arguably a far more inappropriate take on realistic superheroes which is ultimate power brings ultimate boners. And I... is It is not... It is not even... It's it's not deft enough to be subtext. It's basically just oh no, it's 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 completely text. But also, I don't know. I'm I'm weirdly fascinated by the way that he treats all of these um, villains because Mm -hmm. in no like they're the villains. You can or at least you can definitely make the argument that Graviton and Scoutnafera are villains. Yes, but for Nefaria and Graviton, and especially Carvac, mm-hmm. he's on their side. Oh yeah, in, in all like most explicitly in Carvac, yeah. where where Moondragon explicitly says mm-hmm. he was in the right. Yeah, explicitly says it in the final issue. Yeah, um, but even in the treatment of Nefaria and and Graviton, mm-hmm. he literally is trying to make the argument of these guys. We're just trying to be guys, and you know, shit happened, and you know, it, it's everyone else's fault. It's mm-hmm. I don't. I mean, he wasn't editor in chief when this was happening, right? No, but no. you you get the idea that in all of it, he's trying to work through the idea that when you get power, it's not you that changes; it's other people's reaction to you, and that's the problem. Mm. Well. Maybe, maybe. I mean, I think that honestly, Shooter changes his story uh, or his belief in that story as it goes on. Because I do believe that on the one hand, he is aware of, well, for one thing, he he tends to side with his villains. But there is kind of a little bit of arguably he's taking something that's, you know a kind of very Marvel concept, which is the idea that the villain is kind of the hero of his own world. Um, And it's, it makes a lot of sense that, you know, you can identify with the character, but there's always going to be a point at which you're not supposed to identify with the character and shooter, not unlike Alan Moore is pretty quick to make uh, sexual violence or coercion be that splitting point. And like I said, I also feel that that's like 
a very strong def like in the seventies where you have a lot of anti-heroic figures in the, in the cinema starting from 68, well, through the sixties, through the seventies, a very quick way to tell the difference between the, the guy who lives outside the law, breaks all the rules and is a big badass who's the good guy. And the guy who lives outside the rules, breaks all the laws and is a total badass. Who's a bad guy is the bad guy usually is uh, very rapey. You know, what I find fascinating would be interesting to me to see how when you start from something like Graviton uh, and then you move it to Michael, uh, where basically he, you know, it's the sexual dynamics in that storyline are actually more than my brain can handle to move (laughs) on to stuff like the Beyonder and Secret Wars 2. um, There is... What Before happened? you go any further, though, bear in mind that Michael does brainwash the woman that he loves into loving him. Uh, see, that's the thing that's really uncomfortable is you can't really be sure. You cannot uh, okay. be sure. It's strongly suggested in that she sees him for the first time and then she loves him. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I no, mean, you right. know, really... And also, she's afraid of him, but right. she still loves him and knows that everything he's doing is for the best. Like, there's a lot of fucked up shit there. Yeah, there's there's a lot. L- of crazy like, fucked up shit. if if you're like if you're really trying to argue, you know, it's getting better from the graviton stuff. I would argue it's getting worse. Uh, because graviton is straight up like a creep, but no, at no, no, no point no, no, no. rapes. I'm sorry, I, I don't mean that it's getting better. I, how do I put it? I mean in that. I mean, in that Shooter is seeing the, is taking that dynamic and seeing it as a positive thing when it's not. I'm not saying that it is a positive thing. I'm saying Shooter actually gets more creepier with it as it goes on because. Oh, okay. he, yeah, then, yeah. yeah, we're on the same page. And he, yes. he, for my money, reaches the apex of his creep um, in uh, Starbrand. Actually, he might get creepier in Harbinger. Um, right. I'm, I'm going I'm to leave it probably with Starbrand right now because I can't really remember Harbinger. But Starbrand is amazingly creepy. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. And so there is something that's really... I mean, so there's that fucked up stuff, but it, A, it's fascinating seeing that it, it comes right out of the gate with Shooter. B, he basically has maybe four storylines i guess there's more because the parts of the enemy enemy the korvac saga the the korvac part well, yeah, like it, it, yeah it was, and yeah and you've got like the, the collector in there and you've got the grim reaper coming back yeah exactly i like there, there's other stuff that goes on you know honestly i feel that, there as well right the grim right the grim reaper and his ultron stuff strike me as pretty okay like very much very sort of stuff that seems like he read the Engelhart stuff and wanted to bring sort of an, an extension to it again sure. sh- shooter has a certain level of he he's not I, I don't know it's it's not it's not blazing next level stuff but I remember it was interesting for me reading this trial of the Grim Reaper stuff and being feeling like he had a really good handle that's one of those situations where he does have a pretty good handle on having a villain who is sympathetic and fucked up at the same time. 
Sure. You know? I, come, actually, can we talk about the Ultron thing, though? Yes. Because the Ultron thing is fascinating because it's the start of the Hank Pym is completely fucked up. Yes. Hank Pym as villain thing, which Shooter returns to in his second run in Avengers. Right. But it is weirdly just cut off. Mm-hmm. So in the Ultron story, uh, Ultron essentially brainwashes uh, Hank Pym mm-hmm. uh, into believing that the Avengers are villains yeah. and that Ultron is a good guy. And the story ends with Hank is still brainwashed. Yes. And you have characters' comments on the fact that, like, Hank is brainwashed. What are you going to do? This is going to take a lot of time. Yeah. And then Hank doesn't appear for, like, two issues. And then when he comes back, he's fine. Yes. He's well, absolutely. Like, you get, I think there's a mention of him in one of the issues where it's like, we, like, we got Ultron technology and fixed him. Yeah, where something like, oh, his treatments are coming along really well. But, and like, then, it's, it's explicitly yeah. stated at the end of the Ultron story that yes. there's no easy fix. Yeah. No, it's true. And then it's completely... And then there is. Yeah. There, there's weird stuff that is happening behind the scenes uh, on that Avengers stuff. It's fascinating because, you know, there's Korvac, the enemy. There's a million issues where they've got this whole mystery that they're teasing out where Thor keeps popping up and saving everyone's bacon, but then doesn't remember yeah. anyone the next time That's around. Awesome. What is the, I like? I just didn't understand that. I genuinely didn't. What is the resolution of that? Well, I don't know if it's necessarily a resolution, but the idea is that I think it was the collector had a time machine and he kept snagging Thor out yeah, of time and then throwing him in, having him pop up in situations. What's that? What's the point of that, I guess? Supposedly, it's the idea of... Well, I mean, the Collector is really weird. Admittedly, I I don't think that I read the issue. I mean, part of it was Mantlo's writing it, Shooter's plotting it, and and I'm on muscle relaxants. But uh, I think the idea is, is that the Collector is saving the Avengers in that he's collecting them as... To actually do something with them, essentially. And I think the idea is that something is, he's either built, he either wants them, grab them one by one when he thinks Korvac isn't looking so that he can use them to fight Korvac. And in the situations where it looks like he's getting their ass kicked, they they bring back in Thor. But there's a weird continuity. I can't tell to what extent it's Marvel trying to be like shooter playing by the rules of continuity of other books. And to what extent it's just shooter becoming more and more there's stuff that he wants and there's stuff that he's interested in. Um, And so it's like, you know, Ant-Man, it ends up Hank Pym is a nut bar and there is a lot of inference that he's always been crazy. And this was just a very easy push for Ultron and it's never going to end up. Like, he's going to be screwed up forever. And then it turns out that, you know, Chris Claremont and John Byrne were going to have the Wasp and Yellow Jacket, like, team up in Marvel, team up with uh, Spider-Man. And so they're like, oh, okay, well, we'll just, okay, well, so he's just fine. He's just fine. We'll get we'll get back around to it. There's that weird thing where the Beast, who is this prominent character in the Avengers and has a sort of ridiculous 
you know, oh, woe is me, woe, woe is me, oh, wait, women love me? Okay, everything's great then. And then disappears entirely. He goes from being the lens through which we see a lot of the Avengers action, I think in part because George Perez loves him, to just dropping out and having this thing where they're like, yeah, the beast left a note, he got a call on the thing, and he had to run off. And no, like, yeah, but to be, no, but to be fair, that's when he's in uh, X-Men. Exactly. So, like that, that's when Claremont just steals him for this exactly. from Avengers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Claremont, well, Claremont and I think Byrne, because I think Byrne also is has, for whatever reason, has his has his claws in, into Hank. But, um, and yeah, God knows if we had the time, I would go on to talk about how it's really interesting how Shooter, like all the sort of vague, the ways in which Hank Pym can be uh, Hank Pym, Hank McCoy can be read as potentially gay uh, in Englehart's run is very definitively wiped out by oh, Shooter. And also, I love, and I it, I think it's uh, an accidental byproduct mm-hmm. of of Shooter's attempt to declaratively state that mm-hmm. Hank Pym is straight. Mm-hmm. Um, Hank McCoy, you did the same thing. Hank, sorry, Hank McCoy, yeah. But I love that all of a sudden Hank McCoy is going out and like having threesomes, foursomes, and all right orgies. Yes, he is basically. There is that <laughs> it's weird, hilarious to me, yeah. hilarious. Yeah, that all but like because you're like you know there's all these things that just wouldn't be said. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it's really, really, really funny to me that he comes back and he's like, "I've just been with four ladies. I don't want to kiss and tell." But they were voracious. And you're like, holy shit. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I find it fascinating. There there are ways in which in, in which shooters run, although brief. He begins this process, which becomes, I think, all too depressingly familiar at Marvel. And so it's not surprising that when he becomes editor-in-chief in a certain way, that it becomes rampant. The idea of like, no, 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 no. It's not really like that. Like, like I really feel his reboot of the vision is also like because it, it comes out of that whole like, oh, Ultron comes back. Everyone's dead in comas except the vision, you know, and then when the vision gets rebooted, he's more mechanical, more of a robot than before. And you kind of get the idea of like, oh, is he going to undo the Scarlet oh, Witch romance? No, but you. And you have, like, the creepy thing where the less emotional he gets, the more into him the witch gets. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that's actually a good point, too. You're right. You're right. Oh, wow. Where she, like, he is just, like, completely... Because in Englar's run, Englar was making a point that he was getting more emotional. He was getting more expressive. Uh, He was was getting more in touch with his feelings. And Shooter comes on, and Shooter very quickly is like, no, he's more mechanical. And... The witch goes through this, oh, my husband, I love you. Wait, he's acting like a dick to me? Oh, my God, I definitely love you. Yeah. yeah and yeah. It, it, like, yeah, Shooter's, I'm telling you, the gender politics of Shooter's Avengers, at least the first round. I mean, the second round as well, because isn't that when the Ms. Marvel thing happens? Yeah, well, it's tough. He's plotting that. I still feel that's Michelini. There's a whole bunch of problems in there. Like, it's, I think, but I honestly... But, but we're... yeah, the gender politics of Shooter's Avengers is... Uh, amazingly problematic. Yeah. Like, you know, really scary. You know, he, I you can't read it and think that 
he was not a nightmare to be in a relationship with. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. Because, again, the level to which his alpha maleness, uh, A, permeates everything, and B, that there is this idea of, like, no, 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 no. You know, no matter what women tell you, they want a sexually dominant male. The end of story, you know, and it's really creepy the extent to which he believes it. It's fascinating to me the way in which Shooter has, I think, his belief about sexuality and his own sexuality. This idea that he's like, uh, that I mentioned to you in an email, that, that Shooter is very much like, feels out of place with the rest of the people in the comics industry, but he's kind of got a little bit of that, but it's okay because unlike them, I'm actually having sex. You know, he's got his idea of himself as a sexual character and his belief that he knows sort of better. Yeah. That he knows better leads to some interesting places. I mean, there's a way in which to me, What's kind of fascinating is he's got a, you know, one of your patented Marvel cosmic odyssey type things that happen when Michael and Corinna make love for the first time. Or, I don't know, it's not the first time because they've been having sex all along. But once they actually reveal themselves to one another and then they begin having sex, there's all this, like, cosmic stuff unfolding. Um, It's would be it's 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 one of those things where i'm like oh yeah i should be on board with this uh because it's i don't know because i i just i i too am a big fan of you know the idea of sex as this universal level of connection but because it's jim shooter there's something that's (laughs) weirdly it's really super weirdly off and it's fascinating to me there's a sequence where starhawk comes confronts Michael slash Korvac and they have a cosmic fight and it's George Perez. Who's clearly like, I can't wait to break out my chops and show what's happening. And Jim shooter. It's, it's weirdly bad storytelling by George Perez. And it's, but it's actually sort of, um, even more hamstrung by Jim shooter. Like there's a scene with, Starhawk fighting Michael's Corvax uh, cosmic form. And there's a scene where Alita, the Starhawk's female uh, avatar in the real world, is getting punched by Michael yes. in his like tennis yes. shorts or whatever. Yes. And that's clearly meant to be happening in reality that Michael turns around and punches Alita in the face in the library of his Connecticut home. And that's how he gets the upper hand on Starhawk. And yet Shooter writes it as exactly the opposite, that in sub that he punches Starhawk subconscious while their con- while their astral forms are fighting. And you're just like, this makes no I, like it's clearly like the it's the exact opposite of what's supposed to be going on. And I'm fascinated by the way in which Shooter either was like, no, 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 no. You know, Michael Korvac is actually secretly the hero of this story and therefore would never actually punch a woman in the face or or something or he just seems for a guy who tells cosmic stories he's really not especially interested in the hippy dippy shit that everyone else brings to their cosmic stories it's very much a 
you know, Glenn Glary, Glenn Ross, alpha male approach of, okay, I'm the alpha male, but how am I going to actually get Eternity's job? If he notices that I'm going for his job, he's going to kill me or slash fire me slash whatever the cosmic equivalent of being killed or fired is. So I've got to figure out a way to get his job without him knowing that I'm going for his job. You know, it's, it's really a it's weird the extent to which Shooter, the way Shooter filters everything through his own personality is this weird extension. Like, it's impossible to imagine it happening without having the seeds of the, the, all the ground that was tilled by the second generation, the Englehearts and Conways and Wolfmans and, you know... Starlin, especially all the ambitious stuff that they brought from the first generation of Marvel that they bring into the second, the idea of like, you can have this sort of place where the Marvel universe, where you can have a definitive take on it. Um, and shooter couldn't exist without that second generation, even as his specific goals are basically pretending that the second generation didn't exist or is not important. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's a really weirdly problematic oh, yeah. era of Avengers. It's like it, it's fascinating, yeah. I, but it, but it's also really weirdly readable. With yeah. the exception of, and I said this to you in email, the Carvac saga like made me lose the will to live. You know, all all the Carvac stuff, and I like the cosmic shit normally, yeah. but there's something about the Carvac stuff in particular that just feels uh, forced. Mm-hmm. It's especially when it's like, and the guardians have come back in time and they're just going to hang out while, you know, we do other shit and then they're going to come back and give info dumps and then yes. they're going to go away. And then, oh, we're looking for Michael. Oh, he's sitting away in suburbia, which I'm com- like the, the weird scenes where uh, the Avengers lose their government clearance and yes. so have to take a bus to suburbia. Yes. First of all, absolutely nuts because I love the idea that, you know, Tony Stark's still rich, right? Like, yes. In could, fact, they say something about having to like pay the guy at the end of it or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's, like... it's it's super weird. But what I was going to say is, um, isn't that ripped off of uh, a Defenders thing? I'm sure I've read that in another comic. I'm sure I've read that in another comic. Uh, maybe I don't. I don't. I again, my my access to the only thing I remember is. is stuff that happened later after it. But I'm sure there was something beforehand because it's kind of that, it's kind of a classic Marvel trope, you know? Um, The idea of like, oh yeah, here's our heroes. Oh wait, how are they going to be able to, you know, what a revolt and development this is kind of thing. I think that's, I think that's very standard. And in fact, I kind of thought that the stuff where, um, where Shooter basically starts looking at the idea that the government would not be happy with with the Avengers and sort of shuts them down. Like, when I was a kid, I read it, I'm like, oh, man, that, you know, Henry Peter Gyrick, what an asshole. But, like, rereading it, I'm like, oh, yeah, right. They have top secret material all throughout this place, and you can just walk through a wall and grab it. There's, these guys, at the very least, need to have, like, the review processes, like heavily heavily monitored you know so <laughs> great thing about that's, being old that's, man yeah i was gonna say that's what, that's when you know you're getting older when yeah. you go from the avengers to guy Ritchie's site <laughs> yeah exactly i'm just like yeah no, no that, listen that guy had a point 
Yeah, he kind of. Well, see, that's it. Say, say what you like about the Avengers. Like saving the world is one thing, but you know what? Their security was lax. Yes, exactly. Well, and I think that is the that is again that's the key to Jim Shooter. You know, he comes in with this idea of of you know. Similarly, he looks in it at Marvel and he's like, "Yeah, this is great, but you're never really going to build something truly amazing until the trains can run on time and there is a chain of command that everyone has to report to." You know, yeah, it, it is really funny that that from his Avengers you do get this feeling of like, oh, of course this guy is like the streets coming in after the hippies have been running. Exactly. Every- yeah. Like yeah. You, it's really clear. You're like, oh, I get it now. Right. Right. I, right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Right down to the 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 process of like, oh, the beast. You know, he's. You know, he's swimming in vagina. He's in vagina ocean because he's going out to the clubs every night and picking up ladies. It's completely but, but, the but transition. But it's ladies. It's, it's ladies, everyone. Yeah, it's, we, it is. We just want to emphasize that. Just it's at all points. Ladies. So there's no confusion. He likes his colorful musical theater references, but the beast is straight as an arrow. As, when fact, he says, oh, my stars and garters, there's someone else's garters. We just yeah. want to make that clear. We just want to make it clear. His, at no point is not his garters. garters. It's, it's, oh, my stars and your garters. Yeah, it's very, it's very definitive. Um, but, yeah, no, it's totally the hippies have passed, and here comes, like you said, here comes the straight. He understands the appeals of Studio 54 to get laid. He understands the appeal of cocaine. All too well, as it'll be clear. But it's basically all towards this idea of like, yeah, guys, come on. Really, it's about making money, running an efficient business so that you can get laid and you can have your, you know, sprawling mansion out in New Jersey, you know. And, uh... Wow! Does anything sound more depressing than and you can have your sprawling mansion out in New Jersey? Well, yeah, it does. Say it, say it out loud. It, it's it's higher, like, guys. Ooh, oof. I'm also fascinated, and I will point out, this is the one thing that is how much, well, two things. One is how much the Avengers under Jim Shooter becomes Iron Man in the Avengers. Did you feel that way as well? That Iron Man is the No, it becomes Iron Man and Cap for me. Oh, interesting. And, and very particularly their the relationship between these two alpha males mm-hmm. who will uh, tussle. Because they're both men, right? But ultimately, they're both men fighting for the same thing, so it's okay. Yeah, I interestingly enough, I felt that the majority of the time, and part of this is you've got a fill-in issue that either could have been an Iron Man issue, a substandard issue of Iron oh, Man. Oh, but which which they say the in the, the letter call mm-hmm. exactly? Uh, I don't I don't know if you see that later on where they yeah. where they upright say like it's a fill-in issue for any book that just happened to run here. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. But they said something like, but Jim Shooter totally reworked the dialogue. Like, oh, okay, well, that's a relief. You know, so there's really just a concept. To me, maybe it's because of that issue, but I feel like there's a lot of stuff where the majority of the thought balloons belong to Iron Man. And there's a lot of stuff where people chastise him for being a bad leader, and you get more scenes of him basically sulking and thinking about it in the next room or again kind of the like you said there's a little bit of the man it's tough to be boss concept that that runs through shooters work too as well that that seems really 
when you said that, I was like, no, no, Graham. And then reading up on the last, you know, eight issues or whatever, I was like, yeah, no, it's really got a very strong focus on Iron Man in a lot of cases. Like he's the. Oh guy no, yeah, it, yeah. I Jim Shooter's comics from a, a surprise, like because he is relatively young at this point, definitely early yes. in his career, yeah. have a very clear, like it's really hard to be the guy in charge. Yeah, yeah, really, really hard. Um. Yeah, fascinating. Oh, and then the other thing I wanted to mention really quickly was reading the letters columns were really creepy for me because I felt like this was, again, sort of the era at which the manipulation of the letter columns just gets way too... Oh, Jeff, keep reading the letters columns. There's one, you probably haven't got there yet, where Kurt Busiek writes in about that very thing. Oh, really? Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yes, I, it's and Jerry Conway responds and oh, just you wait. Well, really, Conway responds. I, then maybe it's Con- early. Conway responds. No, 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 no. Conway is one of the later issues, okay. and Conway responds, and it is hilarious. Oh man! Well, all all I can say is I felt that there was this amazing tenor change in that every letters column after a certain point seems like the exact same letters column. They're just swapping out the names and addresses. And it's very much a Jim Shooter is a king of characterization. And I was so frustrated with the Avengers under Steve Englehart. And now it's returned to the glory days. Like, oh, just you wait for the uh, the music later. Just oh, you wait. Really? Oh, man. Okay, yeah, because he great. says exactly that. Really? Yes. Okay, well, so this is the thing. I'm sure, like, part of me is like, yeah, okay, there's there's the case that a lot of these, you know, a lot of these 12-year-olds really do believe what they're saying, you know, and, uh, but, but it is interesting the way in which it's, it's the, the cherry picking, you know, has moved from, you know, four positive letters and one negative letter to, like, four full positive letter columns. And then in one letter column, you'll get one negative letter, you know? So very, very. And 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 the negative letter will be, Hey, normally you're like, absolutely awesome. And this was just awesome. Yes. What (laughs) gives guys? Well, no, then it moves into that weird realm of like, everything was absolutely awesome. Except I don't understand why Captain America is holding his shield with his left arm instead of his right arm. What's going yeah. on? You know, and people are like, maybe, maybe Cap had like a Charlie horse that day. People write in. What do you think? Should Cap like hold his shield left hand or right handed? <laughs> We've got a poll uh, going on here. Yeah. So Exactly. This is a, an issue of much discussion here in the offices. Exactly. Exactly. When that and the perfect hangover cure for a very cheap ripple. Um, Dude. Okay. So we ran long (laughs) as I think we tend to do, but we should probably. Well, well, we we had to talk Avengers. We did. We did everyone. And I have to say in just a few brief issues, my Avengers knowledge more or less comes to an end, and I will be oh really the complete dark. Yeah, I think I I read and as a kid I loved the Korvac saga. I remember as a kid being utterly fucking baffled by that beast issue, and then hey, I, I was recall, utterly fucking baffled by that beast issue this time around. I was too. I was too. I'm like even for by Gerber standards, I was like, 
what the fuck? It, and it I almost mean, aggressively doesn't make sense. Well, because I think it's it's Gerber's it's Gerber's angry subtextual issue. Like he's got those that come in, and whichever hero you have in place is basically designed. Like that could have been anyone apart from the oh, beast. Yeah, there really, was, yeah, there was absolutely no reason that it should be the beast. Yeah, the thing that I think is interesting is is that Gerber, who has a distaste for advertising and the advertising culture is writing this issue because he is basically concerned and it makes a lot of sense, you know, considering this issue is, I don't know if it's 1976 or 1977. I think it's post bicentennial by like one year, but it's got a character who makes people doubt themselves in order to manipulate the heroes. Um, and he basically is being, you think that he's a bad guy, but then later it turns out that he's basically being funded by either some variant of the FBI or the CIA. Um, and so he ends up arresting all the criminals, but you're also aware to the extent to which they're like, Oh, this is great. Cause now we can manipulate anyone, you know? And so it's very much the post-1976, post, like, everyone went from feeling horrible about the country to celebrating the bicentennial to beginning to, like, be all up and pro-America. And Gerber steps in and is basically like, hey, this is the next stage of things you have to be worried about. The CIA has now adapted the language of commercial marketing and understand the importance of advertising their their virtues to manipulate you, you know, which in light of like CIA opening, you know, a Twitter account several months ago to to rapturous applause uh, seems like a, a timely story. It's just a goddamn <laughs> intri- bafflingly written one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't, don't get it. They're just CIA. They're just wacky kids like us. On the they are, aren't they? They post selfies. You know, they <laughs> say so. Um, sadly, I talked us right into your Lord of the Flies phase. <laughs> it's the first place you always go. So it let is. me call you back. Okay, okay, and then we'll do the we'll, then we'll do the wrap up. Yeah, exactly. Okay, cool. okay, cool. I'll talk to you in a sec. Okay, okay bye. bye. And we come back just to finish. Yes, exactly. It's like, okay, Graham, sing us out now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But no, like the 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 Avengers issues are just are just weird. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, and that that Gerber issue is so. You know, at this point, because I like said I read like another three issues or so past you. Mm -hmm. um, Avengers at this point is such a mess. Yeah, that like. The Gerber issue is terrible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, not necessarily from a, a quality standpoint, although I think you can make that case, mm-hmm. but from a that story has absolutely no reason to be in the Avengers. Well, specific, yeah, very much not in the Avengers and not in the Avengers the title that it has become. Like, yes, it it almost makes more sense if you had jammed that episode in, like, say, around issue one forty five or something. Yeah, yeah, but. At- uh, this but it's, it's it's so just like out of place. Yeah. But 
the title has become such a mess at this point. Right. We were like, I'm sure they're happy just to get something out the door that month. Yeah, that's definitely the way that it feels. Like, the, the finale of the Korvac saga just feels like it's barely being barely makes out the door with like a million hands it's it's you know it's it feels like it feels like dc's last issue of final crisis or something like that no not final crisis uh infinite crisis just just come a complete desperate hodgepodge i do i should say that i i you know despite talking about uh shooter the alpha male i do think that his handling of simon williams and simon williams cowardice after coming back to life is actually pretty well handled. I like that stuff a lot. Um, I'm, I'm stunned that uh, Jim Shooter could write a story about a man who is almost incapacitated by fear, but then comes to realize that he's a man and a strong man and he should embrace his manhood <laughs> is something that he really, he really got into. I, I don't know why. That's you know. funny. I don't feel like he ever gets, I don't think later he gets to the point. In fact, weirdly, I almost feel like that's an extension of what Englehart goes on to do with Simon Williams in West Coast Avengers. But Oh, Englehart definitely gets into uh, taking him like almost into parody of that. Yeah. Uh, but no, I, I think by the time, I think a lot of, of shooters work with, uh, with Simon Williams is very much in tune with everything else he's doing in terms of his examination of modern manhoods mm. in the, uh, via superheroes. Right. Um, because it is to a large extent about eliminating weakness and eliminating, um, emotion. Hmm. Interesting. I don't know. Maybe. I, 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 I think a lot of uh, what Shooter does, and especially with, with Simon Williams, mm-hmm. is uh, could get the title retitled as The Mighty Just Man Up Avengers. <laughs> well, there okay, there is a lot that, that has to do with, I suppose, about manning up. But I actually think that one of the things I appreciate is Williams comes back um, and at least in this set of issues. So, like I said, I stopped reading pretty shortly after this, the Beast issue. I think there's maybe another six or seven issues. I seem to remember it's like, and I remember the Beast and Simon Williams become better buddies. I remember the Absorbing Man on the docks absorbing an ocean liner and, and pitching I, you, people. You, st- you stick around for a while then. Oh, okay. Okay. Because that, that's definitely the first uh, Michelin and uh, Burn issues. Yeah, because I remember Burn's return, and I think I got some issues into it, and yet fell off before issue 200 comes along for whatever reason. But I remember you, thinking... You knew what was coming up. Uh, that was probably it. I remember thinking that, that Williams and the Beast end up being characters, sort of becoming the core of the Avengers as it rolls forward. And... And looking at it, I really feel like a lot of that stuff is put, at least for the Simon Williams side of things, is put in place by Shooter. And I think he does. I think he does an okay job with it. I think Shooter stuff is very readable at this time, and it's fascinating to see where he goes from here later on. I think because you really get the sense that Shooter in many ways is writing to what he feels his readership wants 
in in his own weird way, even as he's also doing things like, no, this clearly doesn't work. And it's not until later, like something with Secret Wars, where he really is like, no, I have ultimate say over everything. And this is the template of how things are. If you want to write a good story that that things get even more screwy. But as a transition point, parts of it where it was a step down, but it was all still, I thought, like you said, surprisingly readable, surprisingly very, very readable. Oh, people who are uh, going to sign up for Marvel Limited for a dollar for the rest of this month, people. Um, you know, I wonder if they're the reason why I was unable to access just about any book on Marvel Unlimited. Oh, it, yeah, Marvel Unlimited right now is pretty much dead. Yeah, because of because of that announcement. That, that's yeah, they they have um, that that's out there. Mm-hmm. That, that's that's why it, it it basically completely died. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's good to know. Uh, yeah, but people. Definitely for a buck, it's a, it's provided it actually works. Provided it works, yeah, it's a great service. Wouldn't it be nice if you know what they gave us a discount because they killed their own system? Yeah, <laughs> I'm such a child. <laughs> you are the very essence of of mischief, Graham McMillan. Oh, man. Um, But yeah, if people sign up for Marvel Limited, you should check that shit out because that shit is A, shit, but B, (laughs) definitely readable shit. See, this is it. I have to say that it is, to me, like, it's readable, it's highly readable shit, bumps it above just levels of shit for me. You know what I mean? It's not the good stuff of Inkleheart, but I, I was not nearly... Uh, God, the Tom parts of the when Thomas was on the book and it's not John Basima, those issues were such a crazy slog. Oh, that's just it. Like all of this stuff is far better than like the, mm-hmm. the the latter part of Thomas's run. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I personally, I'm kind Avengers of Avengers like, such a crazily all over the place book, isn't it? It really is. It is. Fucking... It's not like because here's the thing: you, on X Men, for example, you get Claremont doing Claremont for years yes but after that it's in a groove like it's an almost unreadable groove but it's in a groove and avengers never gets in a groove like that avengers is so hideously dependent on who was uh, creating it yeah i, I well huh, interesting i you know it's tough because of course i love claremont's x-men um so much and I feel like he's able to do he's just he's basically just kind of uh, well I don't know I don't don't know we'll have to save that for when we do the X-Men read through I guess no because we're never going to do an X-Men read through because it will never measure up to Rachel and Miles explain the X-Men yeah that's it's that'll never happen sadly but yeah yeah. um, yeah, it's it's I don't know. Avengers, I feel, is, is one of the more reliant on whoever is creating its books. Well, interestingly enough, it's reliant on whoever's creating it, but it's always the Avengers is weirdly always one step. At best, it's barely one step ahead of disaster at all times. Like there, and that that is like by contrast, Claremont with Cockrum, Claremont with Byrne. You know, he's got a huge long run. There's there's a huge chunk right out of the gate of Claremont's X-Men that I feel just doesn't feel it isn't so right on the edge of turning into turds before your very eyes the way that 
<laughs> the way that Avengers, Avengers oh is. yeah, almost continually is. Always, 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 always. And I don't know if that's like why that is, but it I, definitely having read 175 issues of the Avengers, I'm like that is that is definitely the case. Also, can we talk about the fact that we've read 175 inches of the I know. Holy <laughs> shit, right? Like, talk about doing a little bit at a time. But Jesus. What yeah, are I'm we like, doing with our lives? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, on that note, on that stellar rhetorical question. Yeah, exactly. On that bombshell. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to be back in two weeks, listeners. That's right. Uh, I hope you're all having a good Comic-Con right now. I presume many of you are there. I presume many of you are not. Either way, I hope that you get through this weekend safe and sound enough so that on Monday you'll be able to listen to this episode. That's right. That's right. Um, oh, and I will mention, uh, hopefully I saw some, some posts on Twitter that some of our patrons have begun getting their stickers, which is fabulous. We are just a day or so away from launching our digital, uh, grab bag. So that will probably be up by the time that this podcast comes out. Knock fingers are crossed. Yeah. Fingers are crossed. Cause it's, um, but, uh, so those things are under away and hey, nobody has yet to buy a, a tote bag, get in at the $20 level, but. Actually, what I was thinking the other day, lots of, uh, lots of websites and everything, ha- comic websites have launched Patreons recently. Yes. Um, I, I'm going to, I'm going to name a few that mm-hmm. I think, uh, you might want to look at if you're a fan of Patreon. First of all, us. If yes. you're supporting us already, thanks very much. If you're not, really, get on board that train. It's great. Um, Rachel Miles Explain the X-Men is running a Patreon right That's now, right. Uh, mm-hmm. which uh, it really is one of my favorite podcasts, comics or otherwise. I think it's a... a I'm, I'm biased. Rachel and Miles are friends. But I really think it's a, a remarkably fun show, a really enjoyable thing. If you have any nostalgia for the X-Men or love of the complete fucking weirdness of that franchise. Yes. Um, the Beat is running a Patreon yes. right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Heidi McDonald is funding The Beat, which I think is a great thing. Um, I, I, am, I am firmly behind that. And The Outhouse is also running a Patreon right now. And it's a site that I seem to remember at one point I said something really nice about it here and people got really upset with me in the comments. Um no, really. And someone was like, fuck you for saying that. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry. I really like The Outhouse. I think sometimes they, being a predominantly comedy website, they can be offensive is the wrong word, but they can definitely say things that, that tweak people the wrong way. Yeah, step but, on some toes. But I also think that it's really important that we have a website that will just point out when people are being fucking idiots. Yeah. I, I I genuinely think that that's a worthwhile thing and that the outhouse does it in a way that is less self-aggrandizing than bleeding cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I am, I am behind the outhouse uh, for, for the, for the most of it. I'm sure there are times where I've been like, Oh really? Yeah. But no, I, I, I really do think it's a good site and, 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 and a, a worthwhile site. Yeah, Graham and I have been talking about this a little bit. We're thinking about taking um, 10% of the money that we make uh, through Patreon and putting it back into the system, giving it toward 
you know, um, projects that we think also are worth supporting. So if there's... Uh, which I should say also involves uh, creators as well. Yeah, exactly. Creators, there's some web cartoonists I would like to back and things. So, so if you're like, well, I want to support all these patrons, but I'm very confused as to who and to what, if it makes you feel any better... 10% of your money, should you back us, uh, we're planning on putting toward uh, things so that we can throw money toward Comic Speed and Outhouse, uh, Susie Cagle, Meredith Grand, some other people that I've talked to who have ideas about launching Patreon. There's a lot of episodic content out on the web that people have been doing for sheer love. And let me tell you guys, your, the support of the people through Patreon has been has given me a lot of uh, energy and, and fire in the belly to, to do the stuff that we do here. Um, and I'm hoping that I can, you know, sort of literally in that case, share the wealth uh, Graham and I are talking about with other people. Cause I think that's, I think it's important. I, I, I think that it actually makes for a stronger, better comics internet for all of us. So Oh, that that got a bit sincere towards the end. Didn't I it? know it's just I'll let it. Oh, oh, crap! <laughs> um, Quick, say something rude. Yes, exactly. Oh, balls! <laughs> I, balls! I did want to tell you, I have a great idea for. Uh, sadly, this is not the new Captain America, but an old Steve Rogers Captain America story that I would love to pitch Marvel with. Right. So remember when Steve Rogers was a comic book artist? Yes. And he was drawing stuff. I think he was drawing, wasn't he drawing for Marvel at the time? Yeah, he was. Okay. So Steve Rogers, comic book artist, right? This is a miniseries that quote unquote writes itself, but even better to me is the idea that you that have. That it draws itself? Yes, exactly. <laughs> So what I want to pitch Marvel with is the idea that Steve Rogers would do, do an untold tale of when he's drawing for Marvel and the Red Skull finds out and gets his brain put into the body of a Marvel Comics writer to fuck with Steve Rogers. And so it's the battle between Captain America and Steve Rogers that you never thought you would see where it's basically the Red Skull is trying to drive Steve Rogers mad by changing comic scripts and asking him to draw more things into it and then having them get into fights and having it go to editorial and just the it's the ultimate extension of you know the Wasp's ultimate enemy you know her chauffeur it's even better it's Cap versus the Red Skull but the Red Skull is writing his book <laughs> Jeff Lester on that bombshell, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. <laughs>